What is up, freaks? It's your boy, Marty Bent, here to introduce this rip of TFTC. Sat back down with our good friend, Texas Slim. And we were joined by Cole Bolton from KNC Cattle Co. here in Austin, Texas, talking about the state of the ranching industry, what the Beef Initiative aims to do to change the industry. We're going to take our food supply back, freaks. It's going to be, it's going to be a beautiful thing. I highly recommend you stick around for the whole episode. Cole's impassioned speech at the end is, is something you guys don't want to miss. This show is brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. The way they do this is their Unchained Vault, which is a two or three collaborative custody multi-sig vault where you hold two keys. Unchained holds one. So you always have control over the Bitcoin. In, in that multi-sig address. You can move it out whenever you so please. If you're ever in a pinch, Unchained is there to be the second in the two or three multi-sig quorum. They have a white glove concierge service that's going to take you from zero to having a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats in a vault. Excuse me, just burped a little bit. It's going to come with multiple video conferences to get you comfortable with multi-sig and get you comfortable with Unchained's vault. It's going to, they're going to send you hardware wallets, help you get those set up. They're going to get your vault set up. And then once it's set up, they're going to dump a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats into the vault. If you tell them that TFTC sent you, they're going to give you $50 off that package. The White Glove Concierge Service. Go check out everything they have going on beyond the vault and their concierge service at unchained.com. Incredible blog, other products, uh, including a, a lending product, IRA. They're adding more services all the time. This rip is also brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Brains. A little birdie told me earlier today that uh, what's minor firmware may be coming soon, TM. And like soon in front of the TM, like being like actually like soon. But as always with Brains, we're not going to hold our breath. But they do provide incredible services. They're a team behind Slush Pool, which is the oldest mining pool in existence. And also the team behind the Brains OS Plus firmware, which is what we're hoping comes to what's minor soon. That firmware, if you download it on your ASICs, is going to help you stack more sats with your hash. Uh, they find a way to uh, focus on higher frequency chips on the hashing boards and then make sure that they're eking out as many hashes as possible so that you can then stack more sats with that. Uh, if you want to check out the models, they just added more S19 models to that firmware uh, availability. Last week, uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. They've also got insights.brains.com, which is a great dashboard that'll give you all the data that you need to know uh, about the mining industry at any given point in time. Go check out everything they have going on at brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. They've also got a, a mining conference in Prague coming later this year in June, June uh, 14th to the 16th, I believe. So go check that out as well. I would love to go. This trip is also brought to you by our good friends at HODL. HODL, HODL, HODL is here to bring you a lending service with no KYC, no AML. It leverages Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties as well. The way the lend.hodlhodl.com marketplace works is that you put your, if you're looking for liquidity, you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, you want a tax beneficial way of, of actually getting value out of your Bitcoin without having to sell it. You put your Bitcoin up as collateral in this two or three multi-sig escrow account. Uh, you can't move the Bitcoin uh, out of the escrow account to, throughout the duration alone for obvious reasons. However, since you have one of the keys, you have insight into that 
that escrow account so that you know that your Bitcoin is not being rehypothecated. As long as you're paying back the stablecoin loan that you've been given, you're going to get your sats back at the end of that loan. Alternatively, if you're a stablecoin guy or gal, you want to get yield on those stablecoins, you can put it up on the other side of that marketplace at land.hodlhodl.com. Lend it out to Bitcoiners looking for liquidity and they will uh, pay back your loan, you, what you lent them plus interest. So go check out all of this again at land.hodlhodl.com. Last but not least, this rip is brought to you by good friends at the Bitcoin 2022 conference. It'll be a big conference, okay? It's happening in South Beach, Miami, April 6th to 9th. This year, this year, it's coming up. Not too, as we're February 3rd right now. It's, it's sneaking up on us. Uh, it's going to be a massive conference, four day event, four day, uh, first days, industry players. If you're building something in the space, you want to network with uh, some heavy hitters, that's going to be the first day. Day two uh, and three are the meat of the conference. You're going to have CEOs throughout the space like Michael Saylor, Jack Mowler's, uh, President Naib Bukele from El Salvador is going to be speaking. He's got a big announcement as well. Uh, and a bunch of other, they have the open source uh, tent and stage where open source projects throughout the space are going to be presenting what they're working on. And then day four is a massive music fest, the biggest, the first and biggest music festival in Bitcoin history to date. Uh, Steve Aoki's playing, Logic's going to be there, Dead Mouse, Run the Jewels. Uh, heavy hitter lineup. Okay, so go check all this out. If you use the promo code TFTC, you're going to get 10% off your tickets and make sure you get them as soon as possible because they do have uh, tiers of tickets. They, the prices will increase leading up to the conference. So go check them out and purchase your tickets at b.tc slash conference. b.tc slash conference. Tell them the TFTC sent you and you're going to get 10% off. Enjoy this rep. It was a high quality rip, if I do say so myself. Okay. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. During like apocalyptic times. <laughs> right. There's, there's some confusion out there these days. Right? Yeah, there really is. I think people really are ready to stay home forever. They're encouraging it. Well, I was just, I was on a call earlier before you guys got here um, with the gentleman in Indiana. Mm -hmm. Indiana gets a lot of snow year in and year out. But since the lockdowns have normalized, mm -hmm. like Zoom class, and like whenever there's a flurry now in Indiana, they're like, oh, stay home. Like we'll, we'll sure, treat you sure. remotely. The world is, uh, is messed up. I'm sitting back down with Texas Slim and Cole Bolton from KNC Cattle Co. Uh, whose meat I've, that's actually going to come. Whose beef. <laughs> uh, from the cattle uh, that he raises. I've uh, had the pleasure of enjoying many times over the few months that I've lived in Austin. Uh, welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Thanks, Marty. It's good to be back. Um, I wish it had been a different weekend. I'm very disappointed. So um, we're going to get over it with this uh, this little discussion we're about to have. What are, you, are you talking about the cold specifically? Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, Austin, Texas, and I'm up in the panhandle. I'm supposed to come to Austin. It's supposed to be nice. So it's, it wasn't, 
And then people in Austin act a little different when it gets cold. Yeah. Like I say, there's nobody on the roads driving down here today. It was empty. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm from Philadelphia. I'm laughing. Yeah. How, was, do, how does that make you feel? We talk about Philly every time. <laughs> so tell us a story about Philly. And then we're going to talk about Austin. We're going to make fun of everybody that stayed home. I mean, Philly, it just snows pretty regularly there. It's right. up in the Northeast. And yeah, you, you get by. Yeah. You plow the roads. Yeah. If they're not plowed, you just drive through them. And here, there's a few flurries and. <laughs> Never. Walgreens is shut down. It's Cold. Like, Did you shut down? Did you? You delivered beef yesterday, didn't you? Uh, yes, uh, my guys. I let them come in a little later because uh, I had a good experience with a really crappy delivery van last year, <laughs> and so I don't like them going on the off and on ramps because they pretty much know one speed and that's go faster. Um, and so uh, we started a little later, but for me, hell no. Five o'clock this morning, we're working. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the road, there's, it's not like the roads are dangerous or anything. Maybe, no. maybe over the bridge, it's a little icy, but. They right. call that rational, rationalization and justification to, to stay home. Everybody has an excuse these days. So they, they make it happen. They project it. And so there's no reason this town should have been shut down, but that's a state of mind we're in. So I saw a good post last night from a guy and it said, it was a friend of mine and he has a big truck like we do. And he said, if you need help because you slide off the road, I will be more than happy to come help you. But do not expect me not to make fun of you. And I kind of share the same sentiment. So. Fair enough. Right. I think we need to mock everybody these days. Oh, I know. We live in a time of a bunch of weak men. Mm-hmm. We really do. We have, we have the proof. You know, I was talking to a, a medical doctor the other day, and she deals with uh, teenage boys in the state of Texas. She's changing a lot of things she's doing because of COVID. But she told me that teenage boys are coming into her and getting these physicals they're coming in with 200 T cell counts and they should be over a thousand. Low T. Low T. These are little boys that are supposed to be way over a thousand T cell counts that, you know, throughout the, you know, the industrial food that we're eating and everything, how, how much nutrients are being depleted in our young boys and nobody's talking about it. And they're, you know, they're not really looking at the causes of everything that they're going through right now. And what that is stilling to these, these young teenage boys is they don't even know what they're losing out and missing out on. And, you know, that pisses me off. And, you know, here we are with Cole because that's what he does. He delivers protein to the brain. So, yeah, there's, it seems like, like we've discussed what's now two or three times on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Like there is a food crisis coming. It might be upon us already. Well, yeah. I mean, it's going to happen. We don't know how much it's going to be. I mean, from Cole can come in on this one, you know, commodity prices, they're going through the roof. Uh, there's not going to be much fertilizer this year. And that's already, we've been talking about that for a long time. Now people here, what are we close to February, whatever we're in, um, People are going to pay attention real quick because they're not going to understand. It's not going to be massive, you know, in certain places. But what they're going to figure out is that our food supply is very fragile and it can be manipulated in ways that they have no clue. And hopefully the society that we're living in right now will start identifying that. Because of that fact, that's why we're, we're creating the beef initiative. And we have created the beef initiative is to really get back to the source of our protein. And, you know, that's been everything that we're doing. So it's, we've come a long ways from the first time we spoke. Yes. Very quickly too, because we mm-hmm. first spoke 
It really did. It, when I first moved here. Yeah. And you were just here, you, you know, you, it started with the harvest of deception, me writing about that. And you, when you do something like that, you can't complain. That's you, you, you identify, but then you start building solutions and mm. that's how you have to approach this. Yeah. Well, before we get to the solution, sure. let's get to the problems because when I came out to KNC a few months ago, uh, you were describing the problems that you go through. That's why I'm extremely happy that you're here now because I think that's what people need to hear out there is a boots on the ground story of what's happening uh, from a rancher's perspective. Like your, your costs are going up. Is that true? Yeah. Um, you know, Slim just kind of touched on this and initially our fertilizer costs this year for those that, that do fertilize, they've more than doubled some, in some cases even tripled. Um, <clears throat> the big four on the packing side has you know, you're seeing grocery store beef higher than it's ever been. Uh, a few years ago, back in the drought of 12, I guess, it, it did get pretty pretty damn expensive. But long story short, they're sitting here taking $800 to $1,000 per head margins, and they're leaving with us as producers making minimal, if any, money. Uh, right now, there are a few producers that can make a little money. I, I won't say that. $100, $150 a head. But it takes so much volume. And for me, uh, you've been to the ranch in Austin. It's challenging as it is trying to find land space in Austin. If I were trying to commercially uh, do agriculture, there's no way I could make a living. So I've kind of taken a different approach and I put my, uh, my biggest asset in our real estate. And then I let my company from the cattle and meat side of things help support the cash flow. But if I were trying to dollar it out, start over from scratch, buy land here, there's no way that I can make that work. Um, our feed costs are over double what, where we were at 18 months ago. Uh, we were fortunate we had a really good hay crop this year. But this winter, um, none of our, you know, our oats died early. Uh, wheat is non-existent. Hell, that's even in the panhandle, Colorado, the West Coast. Um, we were in a pretty heavy drought. In a lot of areas and specifically in Austin, we just haven't had much rain. And so we have to figure out ways in which we can supplement. We can do everything that we want as far as regenerative agriculture, but we're still dependent on rain. And without that, it really changes how we have to navigate that model. Um, government hasn't made it easy for us either. And I know later in the podcast, we'll probably touch in on some of those things, but um, I think we're just having to get creative. You know, a lot of people take take the idea of, of ranching as some big romantic escapade. And sadly now, you know, I have to be a stockbroker and, and purchase my commodities, buy my, mar or buy my puts, buy my pushes, learn how to hedge them. I do on the commercial side uh, before I got into raising all my beef and bringing it to the public uh, myself. I mean, I was having to do the same thing, buy positions on beef. I have to be veterinarian, um, <laughs> you know, my wife and I do all our books. Um, and so we wear so many different hats that a lot of people don't really realize when it comes to technology. I mean, hell, our tractors run on GPS. We have to do a lot of, uh, we have to learn a lot of different things in order to to stay up and stay competitive. Yeah. So we've got, uh, sorry for the uh, the ambulances in the background, freaks, but, and, that, and that's because you can't, add any more cost to your operation. You can't hire a broker to do the hedging for it, or maybe you can, but you choose not to. Yeah, we can. But once again, it's such a, 
it is a business where you can't, there, there's just not a lot of margin to have. Yeah. You know, we cut out the brokers for our meat. We've cut out, um, hopefully in the next 60, 75 days, uh, I'm a partner of a processing plant. So now we cut out third-party processing and we're trying to absorb as much of that back as we can. But at the end of the day, you know, if you make a couple hundred bucks uh, on an animal selling beef, hell, uh, any business-minded person would say, why in the world do you do this? Um, for me, it's a lifestyle choice. Absolutely love it. My heart, my soul, my passions in agriculture and bringing a quality product to the public. Uh, I love being a steward of the earth. I love the care of animals. That's, I was, we were talking earlier about, about calving right now and, um, in the storm that kind of sucked, but that's what brings joy. When you see all the babies hitting the ground for the next 90 days, it makes it all worthwhile for me. Yeah. Let's talk about that more, the, the calving stuff. So you try to time it up, uh, to have your cattle give birth in February and September. Right. And the cold sort of induced uh, early, early birth. Yeah. We're, we're uh, a little fortunate in Texas or specifically in central Texas. Cause we don't have real, real cold winters for the most part. Um, the last two years have made me look like an idiot with that statement. But, <laughs> um, but you know, other than one or two cold spells, we normally don't get ice and snow. So I want them to calve in February and I'm doing the seasonal trend and most people in the industry are doing this because you want your cattle coming out at different times. We're trying to follow the market where the high points are. Um, and so that, you know, January, February calving, September, October calving is perfect. Um, I don't want them calving in the summer because in central Texas it's too damn hot. And quite frankly, it puts them suspect to pneumonia really, really easy with the high heat. Mm. Uh, anytime in the fall is okay. But, the, you know, I like to space them, but as uniform as I can have them, uh, when, you know, at the same age, the same weights, it makes my whole process simpler so that I know exactly where my inventory will be at all times. Yeah. And so what's it been like this week? The cold is just. Yeah. I mean, I, I told Slim yesterday, I was pissed off. I hate losing, uh, any of our animals, but I, I did lose one calf. It was born two days ago. And, um, sadly we call them dummy calves. So when they, when they're born, occasionally you get one that doesn't quite figure out how to milk. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you have to basically show it how to go to the cow, how, you know, how to, how to latch on and, and get milk. And, um, sometimes it takes a few days to really get them in the rhythm. And he was one of them. And we just had so much freaking rain. I guess he, as much hay, as much shavings, we put them under barns, uh, any of them that calved just now. And he just didn't make it, didn't make it. Damn. But for the most part, we didn't have any material losses. We, we've been just fine just been cold. Nobody wants to work outside in the cold. No, especially in Austin. Right. So, <laughs> covered that. Didn't we? <laughs> well, beyond like the calving process, like everything, again, I went out to KNC, you uh, put us in your truck. You, you had my son uh, on my lap in the, in the front seat of your truck. He was uh, loving the scene, but you were describing the process and how you actually tend to your, to your cattle. Like, so you, you don't do uh, any antibiotics that aren't completely necessary. You don't, right. um, you, you let them do the, the grazing as well. I'll let you describe it. Like how, what is your process behind raising yeah. these cattle? So when, when they are born, we identify everything with, with tags so that one, I use this for tracking purposes. So when that animal is, is large enough to harvest, I can know the genetics of what bulls, which cow it came from. And, um, 
I can focus my breeding program over the high performers. So I want it to grade as high as it can. So you're getting the best beef you can get from me. Um, we bring them in, uh, you know, within a couple months, usually if I can catch them the first few days, uh, we go ahead and give them a, a, a black lot a goodness. Can't talk a black leg shot. And what that does, it, black leg is a, is a, uh, a viral disease that goes into the ground. And so, um, if you get that in your herd, you can spoil your soil. And so we immediately uh, hit everything with that. But um, none of our animals, you know, as, as we take them, we wean them off the cows uh, for usually 60 days. And during that time, um, we make sure that, you know, if we have an animal get sick, we will treat it with a with an antibiotic. But um, those animals don't go into my, my meat program. They go into our commercial program and I shift them out. Um, we firmly stick behind exactly what we preach. So any beef you get from us will not have any antibiotics. They will never get hormones, uh, implants. And, um, we, we watch them through the entire process. You know, a lot of people ask me, well, you know, how hard is it to kill one? What I do is I make sure that we don't name one. It is the hardest psychological thing, but I can't give them names. Otherwise, you're damn right. I don't care who you are. If you're human, it is hard. <laughs> it, it is really, really hard. So I get attached with the care side of it, but I try not to get too attached to each individual animal because it gets really hard uh, from the processing side. But the outcome of knowing what they can do and uh, from a protein standpoint to, to other people in the United States, it, it makes it worthwhile. What is it? What do you have to say about like how disconnected most people are who will just go to Heb or HEB, excuse me, or Whole Foods, buy a steak and not even think about the, I don't want to say mental anguish, but the connection that you have? It is, I spend, I wish I could tell you, probably 75% of our time educating our, our customers and educating the general public more than I do. I never have to sell. And I don't mean that in a negative light as if we're lazy, but it's exactly what you said because there's so much disconnect. Most people don't understand the process. Kids, you know, they go to the grocery store and when their mom asks them where milk come from, it came from Al 5. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, we're, we're having to, to really help people understand the process. And why, you know, I look at it from another point of view. Why is it important? Why does the story really matter to folks? Well, if I'm trying to eat healthy, I need to know, uh, one of the things that that we learn uh, over time and through studies is, you know, we're seeing kids now with peanut allergies. We're seeing them with all these high, uh, different allergies that are accumulating from the feet or from the food sources. And so if we can play a role in helping prevent some of those things down the line um, through, through our program, that's exactly what we're targeting. So we're explaining to people what protocols we follow. How's that animal treated from the day it's born to the day it goes to harvest? Um, you know, another thing with beef quality is stress. The more we keep an animal in a stress-free environment, one, the tenderness of, of the beef is better. And two, their, you know, their state of life is, is at a higher quality. And, and you know, being able to use hyper-local um, processing, uh, our processor is about an hour and 15 minutes down the road. Um, as I said, here in 60, 90 days, it's <laughs> going to be about 15 minutes. But... Um, by short distance travels, uh, keeping, you know, we haul our cattle in a, in a 36 foot trailer. There's plenty of room. So there's not, they're not being crammed and, and put into tight scenarios. They're not having to sit there for, 
uh, over 24 hours. Uh, we actually take them right when they're getting ready to harvest. So when they step off our trailer, other than being in a new environment, they're not having to constantly hear all the noises and things that go with processing. Um, they're able to go in, we harvest, it's a clean process and um, it's USDA certified. Well, we've talked about processing a lot mm -hmm. in our conversations. And so let's talk more about this this new processor that you'll be transitioning to in, in a couple months. Yeah. So um, I have a partner. Uh, we're opening up a processing plant in Luling, Texas. And I've had people like, Luling? Why the hell do you pill, uh, pick Luling? Well, for me, Luling is, or where our plant's going to be is three miles off I 10. So you're roughly in hour and a half from Houston, an hour from San Antonio, 50 minutes from Austin. So we're on the hub of the triangle in which we sell the majority of our product. Um, <clears throat> and so we, we're opening a USDA facility. Uh, we're going to be more of a regional size plant. Most local processors, you know, th they may harvest anywhere from 20 to 50 head a week. We'll have the ability to, at any time, we our max would be about 300 per week. Oh, shit. So we're designing this specifically for people like me that want to go to the public and take beef and be able to sell it. That's what we've built our plant for, um, to be custom processors and not just for my own use. And so how would you describe the, the layout of the processing part of the industry? Because there's many... Uh, centralizing factors i would i would sure. argue in that and then because that's there's four massive packers or five massive packers in in the country and we've talked a lot about this it needs to be yeah. decentralized more distributed right sure i mean you know the processors it's 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 one of the ways and of course cole knows this more than anybody because he deals with it every day and he's he's fighting that but as far as the processors they're the bottleneck of manipulation of beef prices and access and and they they've always done that you can you can look at them and say it's nefarious and you can you can make accusations you know that's not something that i don't that we're going to do moving forward. We know that it's there. It is a problem. It is a major problem that we're going through right now. There's not a shortage of beef. We know that. Okay. There's not a shortage of quality protein either. Whenever you look at the four processors, one thing we, we talk about a lot is the processing part of it, but let's talk about market access too, because they control the market access. So once they control it on the front end, you know, 18 months to go harvest a cow, you know, that rancher has to make those adjustments saying, this is how I'm going to plan my year. I'm not going to get into this processor until this time. And so where is the crux of the problem coming from? So like in Bitcoin, obviously like exchanges, a lot of people have problem with KYC AML because they think it puts people at danger um, of having their personal identifying and information stolen and then used against them by criminals or God forbid having money stolen from their accounts or something like that. And that problem stems from overburdened regulations that are thrust on the exchanges, not necessarily the exchanges problem uh, or fault. They, they are simply trying to play within the lines which have been put in front of them. Is this a similar situation in the processing landscape or is there more um, power play at the industry level? Um, it's a, the answer is yes to all, to every point you just brought up, you know, let me, I'll try to make it more simplistic. So when you go to HEB or you go to Walmart or choose your grocery store, you go buy a ribeye steak. That ribeye steak 
more than likely came from one of those four corporate companies. Their cost of processing, I don't know the exact number, so I don't want to misquote, but on average, they're probably around 40 to 50 cents per pound for that animal hanging. Whereas if you buy local, we're having to pay a third-party processor somewhere in our area, anywhere from, you know, 80 cents to $1.30. It just varies. If we get a USDA stamp, it costs more. So long story short, the the grocery stores are buying are buying animals that were grown and established exactly how the corporate companies said they needed to. They're implanted. They've more than likely had antibiotics. They're buying those cattle based off a of market grid. You're actually buying an animal when you buy from a ranch based, based on a fair price of between you and the rancher on a cost basis. You're not having to actually do a hyperinflated or um, hyper depreciated value on that animal. Um, they monopolize, and I, I don't use that word likely or lightly, but they monopolize the price of the beef industry. They trade on a board that's not on true supply and demand. And so, as an example, um, feeder cattle today. Uh, I haven't looked at the board this morning. Um, let's just say it were $1.60. So, for a 750-pound steer, that corporate yard's going to pay me $1.60. They should, but they don't. They're going to give me $0.18 cents of a basis back of what that board is. So, I'm already getting less for that animal if I sold it to them. So then you go and you put all your money in the feed process and they still get to decide what the final futures board is. Now that brings a whole nother topic of price manipulation, which we noticed yesterday, JBS just did a settlement for 55 or $60 million, but they haven't, they have not pled any guilt for price manipulation, but they felt it was better to settle point being, even if they do, who the hell gets the money? Not the producers, not the guys that we put everything we had on the table. Not at all. Who knows where it's going to go, right? So in the end game, yes, there is, there is so much disconnect from, as a consumer, when I go to HEB, I have no clue. And plus, they don't require sourcing. So you don't know if your beef came from Texas, the United States, or if it's Mexican, Canadian, South American, mm-hmm. um, they don't require it. And it's really frustrating because from a small producer, as a consumer, hopefully I can convince you, hey, look, I'm using hyper-local, hyper-local uh, communities for processing, for feed, uh, the whole entire process. Would you mind paying a little more? But I can guarantee you're going to have a fresher quality. When you go to HUB, most of your beef is only hung three to four days. And that's been in transit from trucks, from the processing plant and trucks to the grocery store. They harvest it, cut it up and you go buy it. So then you're like, man, it, it smells a little funky. Or when I cook my ground beef tonight, there was a lot of fat and it just shrunk. The difference is with us and with local producers, we can hang our beef longer. And what that does is it breaks down the muscle tissue, gives it a better, more rich flavor, but it makes it more tender. Therefore, you have less water in it, so you're not going to have the shrinkage. So in the long run, even though the cost is a little bit more, it actually a lot of times doesn't end up being that much more. You get more beef at the end of the day, essentially? Essentially. Yeah. It's in, it's, uh, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating conversation that's becoming more uh, apparent to people. Like, where the fuck does my food come from? Right. And it's... 
It's funny because you describe that. You describe like the the marking of where, the origin of the beef. They made that. Did they make it illegal, or did they just say you, they made it illegal? Didn't they? Like recently, within the last decade, correct? Yeah. Why? Well, what is the justification for it? I wish I had an answer. I asked that question too. No, I think we should have to source. And what isn't fair too is we have a lot of cattle that are going into Mexico that get processed that are American beef, and then we're bringing them back over. Is a mercantilism essentially? Yes. <laughs> well, it's you know, <laughs> cheap labor. <laughs> but my thought is real simple. Why are we having outsourced to another country when we're already raising them here? Why don't we go and build more processing plants? Well, there is a reason for control. Um, they have their own decisions and their own agenda. I'm not at all saying that, uh, you know, the processing plants in Mexico, they're, they're regulated very, very sharp. Uh, and they do a good job with what they do. But why in the hell are we keeping it on American soil? It's not needed. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing. Like, if you want a strong economy, how do you create a strong uh, economy at the at the uh, country level? Right. You create small, strong economies at the local level, right? And then you keep like Strong Towns is one of the most impactful books I've ever read in my life. Mm -hmm. What they hone into in that book, particularly, is the the revenue per per square foot of, of real estate that you have within a town. And uh, Charles Marone, Chuck Marone, who wrote the book, did an analysis of like the revenue per square foot that a Walmart brings to a local community versus like a local coffee shop or pizza shop. And the coffee shop or pizza shop far uh, exceeds the, the Walmart. And then on top of that, like the Walmart's just not bringing... It just, yes, they're big, they're massive stores. And one would think like, oh, you have a Walmart, it's bringing a lot of activity. Uh, analytically at the revenue per square foot. It's not. And then number two, all the profit that it is making gets shipped outside of that local community. And so like, if you want these strong local mm. communities, you want to make sure that you're supporting the ranchers, yep. the processors, the people providing the feed. And, well, and that's what we, we always talk about the, you know, where I grew up in Panhandle of Texas that, you know, the local communities died whenever I was growing up. And we always say, how can we get those local communities back? Well, you, I've come to find out during my lifetime is you get to the source of that community, and that is food. And that's how they were actually created in the first place. You know, that's why communities across the United States was created. So, you know, working with coal, working with all the ranchers around there, let's start with the food. Let's start with the best possible food that we can incorporate into those hyper-localized communities. We don't have to solve everything, man. This is, this is what we do. We start with what is going to give us power, you know, strength, good health, better health, uh, lifestyle changes. I mean, the education process of everything to get local with your food again, it, it should be your lifestyle especially how much manipulation is going on with our nutrition, you know, that's definitely directed to our people, but it's definitely directed to our children. And so we don't have to solve all these localization problems right now. They right. will build some steam. What we do is that first phase and we drip approach that. We get in there and we, we do one thing. Me and Cole have a very good relationship right now. I'm going to go out to his ranch. He's from East Texas. I'm going to go out to his East Texas ranch. And we're going to basically start understanding how we can create those avenues that local people can start building their local communities. And Cole and I were talking yesterday and, you know, me and Justin up there in the panel, his processing plan is open now. So he's in business. 
And, you know, he's having a lot of impact up there. We were saying, you know, one processing plant per county across the state of Texas. You know, that's where we'll end up. But right now, you know, Cole and I were talking, it's like something like his within a three, four county area, it's about to happen. And one thing about that, that's going to hit the, how many communities is he going to hit by doing this? Okay, we're not, you know, we're not going to solve it all at once, but what we're doing is giving a regional, you know, solution that will trickle down into the local, you know, towns and urban areas and everything that's around there. So there is approach that we're looking at right now and within the processing part of Texas and the beef initiative is really going to start helping people. We're going to start advising people on processing centers in the, in the state of Texas. That's extremely important. Right. Yeah. What you're describing is like, again, bringing it back to Bitcoin, you're describing like a distributed node mm -hmm. topography. That that's is. what, yeah, we're doing everything that Bitcoin's doing and what we're trying to do. That's what people, that's what I see. That's what I see in my head. We have to build these nodes. We have to build these regional networks. I came from networking kind of from my beginnings in technology and I have that visual. The opportunities there, there's people out there with tons of money that want to open up regional processing centers. I know two, three, one, two, three, four that have either open or they're about to open in the state of Texas. And, you know, we've been talking about it and talking about it behind the scenes. There's already groundwork for financial uh, avenues to be able to fi uh, have the on-ramp to be able to get these processing plants established in the monetary system. One thing that's very exciting is the stuff I'm working with behind the scenes is that we know how to build USDA processing centers now. Well, let's get into that. Let's get into the USDA. Well, how do they play into this? Are they sort of a gatekeeper? Do you think they're necessary? I don't want to get you in trouble. Well, but. you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think it's important as far as, you know, we're, they were all on a level playing field. Like, <laughs> When I was designing our plant and trying to figure out, well, are we going to go USDA or are we just going to be a Texas state inspected? Well, you hear both sides of the ledger. I hear state plants that are like, man, USDA is easier because the state of Texas is so much harder. Then I talked to Fed plants and they're like, shit, I wish we would have went state. USDA is so encumbersome. If you if you design your plant and your safety plan, we call them the HACCP uh, in the industry, uh, on your food safety I think they are important to assure because I have, I don't know how many plants you've been to slim, but I have been to some that to the general public wouldn't be all that appealing. They, they look pretty rough. So in a lot of ways, yeah, they do serve a purpose to, to make sure of that. But now we've all become accustomed to, you know, I have people all the time that, that email us or hit us up on social media. Well, I want a USDA inspected stamp prime ribeye. That doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it followed exact protocols of what they're necessarily trying to tell me that they want. Um, I think it is important. You got to go through, we're all having to go through the bureaucracy where it gets a little different is uh, Marty, if you own a cow and you decided for your family, you just want to raise it and consume it yourself. You technically don't have to use a state plant. You technically don't have to use a USDA plant. You can go to some backyard local processor. They can wrap it up put a stamp that says not for resale on it and go on down the road. That's your prerogative. Um, I do encourage though, especially for all the listeners uh, on this cast, you know, 
I do support using state and federal facilities. I would, I, as a consumer, do feel better knowing that it is inspected, that health codes were followed. Temperatures were correct on your beef. The transport was correct. Um, and so it gets hard sometimes. We have to compete against guys that, that are using those not, not for resale plants, uh, and they're able to price cheaper because, yeah, they're not having to follow the guidelines. So, shoot, they can cut it a lot cheaper. Yeah, you know, compliance costs, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. But this is one of the few times you will hear, hear me say that I, I do think there is a purpose for, for the inspection. And I think they are, they are important. Now, some of the nonstop regulatory thing items that they, they make us follow, I think, can be a little overbearing, but maybe stupid, but <laughs> yeah, he's willing to disclose specifically what, uh, yeah. Oh, just some of the, some of the handling documentation. Um, you know, I'm not full blown in processing, so I can't speak to every single point, but you know, having to check out and, and monitor, you know, what beef is coming in and out. Well, hell you have an inventory system that does that. I shouldn't, I don't think you necessarily have to have an inspector over your neck saying, Hey, this, you know, you need to document exactly how this went out. They're trying to do it so they can document that the temperatures were right. At the end of the day, hell, you can go test the temperatures in your freezers, you're hanging your blast coolers. You're already temping all the carcasses. When you harvest that animal, they have to they have to temp them. And then you walk, watch the temp as you bring them into the harvest room and start fabricating. Um, but yeah, some of it is redundant. Um, do they need to necessarily get involved on wherever damn floor drain is on your on your building, mm, negative, but they're going to. So you got to, sometimes you have to change your specs and change your construction to meet every freaking code that they have. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one good thing about kind of the work I've been doing. That's kind of been a, it's been detached from having that intelligence, having that information to really hit these specs that have USDA precedents. So what I've been working on is getting documentation and from every type of processing plant here in Texas to start off with that is USDA certified. It has a precedent. So we don't really have to worry about all the rules and regulations, the, the questions, the detachment that you have within the state, within the rules, the laws, all that, you know, Justin up in the Emerald area, you know, he, he had to self-train himself, educate himself for two years to figure everything out. What we're trying to do is streamline that in to where somebody can come through us. We're going to advise you. We have precedents now, and we're going to be able to help you on-ramp into this processing center. Yeah. Well, and this is the, exactly what I want to get to. Like When you guys are successful and your processing plant is up and you're creating more nodes throughout counties all throughout Texas. What right. does that do? What is that? How does that change the landscape of, of, of beef in Texas specifically? But if this is replicated beyond Texas, what? Well, this, this, I mean, you know, I've always talked about it. We have to start living like our grandparents did. You know, this, this will change everything. This is, this will change lifestyles. This will change health. You know, Cole has a discussion with the uh, clients and they, you know, they, they look at the price of beef and it's, you know, it's not a perspective that is usually clear in whenever they're judging prices of beef from somebody like Cole or to HEB. They're not looking at the savings of cost in healthcare. 
that we've lost in this country as far as, you know, having good health care, having good medical, anything like that. The long-term lifestyle that we're creating with this node type of system of localization of our protein and of the revenue, you know, and of security and of legacy, it changes so many different things on a level in that it's hard for everybody to see. But once you kind of focus in on that regional type of processing center, there's, there's things that, Cole and I had discussions yesterday talking about bones. What are we going to do with the bones? What is Cole going to do with the bones? And, you know, I have somebody that's been consulting with me, and he goes, you know what? You can get bones now, and you can turn that into fertilizer, and you can use it in the vineyards out here in the hill country. Right there, we're taking this process that we have control over. We're creating something from it. We're keeping that money in the local economy. I think one thing that from the animal care side that we can take back from the Native American culture is you have to respect the entire animal. And a lot of consumers, what does it look like when we add all these plants? Now the producer has the ability to control the narrative of what his earnings look like. He now has an option. Either he can go with the corporate platform and get X amount of dollars for his animal. And if he's content with that, so be it. But now he also has another option that he can come to the general public with his product and sell his beef. Um, you know, along the lines of what, what Slim's saying here, the biggest challenge that I see now that I've been on the distribution end that I had not completely put into consideration is I harvest an animal and you don't want to buy a quarter or, hey, we were talking earlier, you don't have room right now to put a half a beef. So... I'm going to sell you a, a box that may have a couple different steaks, but I've got to, at the end of the day, I've got to move that entire animal. And a lot of folks don't know how to use tri-tip or how to use picanha or what in the world a terrace major is. All of this product that sits in my freezer because I constantly have to find an outlet for it. What we're doing uh, from my side and with the beef initiative we're going to do with a lot of these chefs is start showing people like in my house, I sell ribeye so damn fast. You know, if I could make every cow nothing but a ribeye, I'd be rich. But uh, I can't. 52% of that carcass turns into ground beef. Mm -hmm. So with more local plants that can provide these specialty cuts and we and with us joining forces to educate people on how you cook, I eat picanha more than I ever eat a ribeye. And if you cook it appropriately, it really doesn't take that much damn time. In an hour, I can put it on indirect heat and then I take it off indirect, put it on direct for four minutes on each side, and I will slice you up a Brazilian style. I season it my direction, not necessarily Brazilian style, but I can cut it just the same. And that piece of meat is going to be as tender as a New York strip, or it won't have the same marbling as a ribeye, mm -hmm. but it's going to be pretty damn good. And guess what? It's half the cost of a ribeye of, of a very nice quality cut of meat. So we're going to spend a lot of time doing that with more plants, Hopefully, we're going to help them from an educational standpoint to also teach their consumer. When the consumer comes in and says, hey, I just want ribeyes, look, we're not telling you you can't have them. But what we are want you or we want you to consider and think about is help us stay in business. Why don't you try our top sirloin? Why don't you try our Denver steak? Our Denver's are one of the biggest hits that people are finally catching on the train about. Our chuck eye comes off the bottom end of the ribeye roll. Uh, we call them the chuck roll. They're an absolute phenomenal cut of steak. The more people will start venturing in and, and really accepting, we're having to build these bundles so that as small producers, where we only have a few animals, 
we've got to be able to move that entire animal. And when you'll buy these bundles from us, you're going to get to try all these different things, but you're also putting a respect back on the animal for what it is. So now we can utilize the whole carcass. That's been the challenge with these smaller plants and while a lot of them went broke because all of them could sell a ribeye. Well, hell, anyone can sell one. Mm-hmm. We've got to teach them how to be able to sell the rest of it. And if they can, now we've created our own market that's no longer monopolized to where we can take a free capitalistic approach and the consumer then can say either A, I can go to the grocery store and I can pay some third party to sell me all natural free range or whatever program you want to go behind, which by the way, most of them are crock of shit. And we can talk about that (laughs) later on how they, how they label them. Or I can go to my local rancher. I can tell him I want a half a beef or, Hey, I want, we sell one called the freezer builder. It'll feed a normal family for 30 to 60 days. Pretty easy. And I can be transparent. They can see where their beef comes from. They can be guaranteed that it's going to be inspected. It's going to be safe. They can take it home and put it in the freezer at a cost that's not that much more off of grocery store pricing. But by doing that, they've also taken other cuts off that animal and we have fully utilized it for what its purpose is. How much do, because here in Austin specifically, you're... KNC Cattle Co. is very integrated with the restaurant scene here. How much do chefs play into this and putting something on their menu that then entices somebody like, hey, maybe I can cook this at home? Man, they are so, so important. And we've been fortunate. We have some phenomenal restaurant partners, you know, from not just putting us on their menu. We're uh, we're actually fixing to start here in a few weeks. We're going to start shooting video with several of these restaurants and they're going to, we're going to highlight cuts that are not our prime steak cuts. And just because, yeah, of course, restaurants put that special flavor that a lot of us can't get at home. But I've gotten to where now, I know the quality of beef that goes into the majority of these restaurants won't touch necessarily what we're raising. It's not aged as long. So if I can watch a video on, hey, do they use S&P or or they, you know, do they have some secret spice that I really want to try? If they'll show me how to do it, well, hell, I'm going to go home and I'm going to give it a good shot myself. And what I found is, quite frankly, I was not this way really until the last six months. I love supporting local restaurants. But I've gotten to where I'm like, damn, I can cook a pretty good steak at home. And I kind of enjoy mine over most of the other ones because I know what the meat is and where it's coming from. I still support any of the local ones. But what we're finding, too, is for the first time because of covid restaurants give a damn about quality versus quantity. You know, ground beef is hard. If we go to, you know, you can buy cheap utility kill cows. Uh, Most people don't realize that's what they're eating, but that's what it is. When they get ground beef and the restaurant's paying anywhere from $2 right now to $2.80 a pound, well, yeah, the meat's going to shrink. Yeah, it's going to taste a little different. Or do they suck it up and say, you know what? we're willing to pay an extra 50 cents to a dollar a pound. And I'm sorry, as a consumer, you may pay instead of $10 for that hamburger, 12. But now they can guarantee where that product came from. They're going to have less shrinkage. It's going to have a better flavor. Austin has always been very supportive and buying into that local vibe, but it's not just about local anymore. It is about quality. And we're seeing more and more of them not just buying from KNC. They're buying from other local producers. And I think that is Excellent. And that's what we're trying to push. I want more restaurants to say, you know what? We're tired of buying the cheap shit. We're ready to bring quality local stuff from folks that we know. 
And it's not just telling a story. It's actually living the story. So we're going from start to finish, raised in Texas, across all of Texas, and hopefully into the United States. So yeah, yeah that's one thing I've really enjoyed seeing on menus here is they'll have the ranch where, where the cut is from. Yeah. Usually when you when you order, which is cool. But we're still having to twist their arms too, because chefs have the certain cuts that they're comfortable with. And I'm I'm working with several of them with some of the distributors and going in and twisting their arms and saying, Hey, look. We know you love the ribeyes. Hell, every <laughs> one of our customers does. Um, would you consider putting a top sirloin? I finally got a restaurant the other day to put a Denver steak on. Um, and teaching them, hey, like, you know, there are ways in which a Denver steak needs to be cut to, to get that optimal tenderness. Because if it's cut a different way, some of them can get a little chewy. And so we have to spend time occasionally even educating chefs on trying this and trying that. It's uh, fun, huh? As a chef, you should be excited to try new stuff, right? Like, a lot of them are. It's all an approach. If I come in and say, hey, you don't know how to cook, you're doing shit wrong, you're going to get a little pissed <laughs> yeah. off. But if I say, hey, look, can you help us out? From a financial standpoint, I can you know, I can negotiate as long as I'm making a little money uh, and we're not just breaking into zero. Try this cut. Try it this way. <laughs> this is actually a theme of the last week on this podcast. It's all about the approach, right? Because we had mm -hmm. Tucker Max on last week. We were talking about the approach to shake people out of the madness that we're currently right. consumed in. Right. And yeah. similarly, like uh, about the approach and switching from like chefs and restaurants to the end consumer and not trying to convince people why they should probably seek out better food sources and better protein, mm -hmm. but like the, the approach, like how do we approach your your Everyday Joe, who's uh, probably eating out three or four times a week, or if not cooking from home, but they're cooking a bunch of shit that's prepackaged. And like, what is the approach to to get them to begin thinking? Like, all right, maybe I should be interacting with my local rancher, buying uh, quality beef, and and cooking at home uh, for my health, right? Because I mean, mm -hmm. Dinari, that's why I love what you do. You I mean the juxtaposition of the pictures of America in 1970 compared to right. today at the beach is jarring. What? It is. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think you start with what caused people to go to fast food? Yeah. What made that shift? Well, it's real simple. We're all running a hundred miles an hour. We're too damn busy to go home and cook. COVID kind of helped slow some of that down because now all of a sudden you're at home and you're like, damn, you know, I got both the kids screaming and I got work. I do not want to drive to town right now. I'll, I'll try to throw something together. But fast food really got its, its acceleration because one, it was kind of stimulated through the government, but two, it was convenient. So if we can bring convenient recipes back to the home and then also ask for the consumers to start holding the restaurants accountable. I mean, I would give a shout out right now, uh, Little Brother uh, Little Brother Bar, Jew Boy Burgers in Austin, uh, Better Half. Um, I can name, as you look at the top 10 burgers, Several of them, and I'm not just saying it's our product, but several of them are buying local. So that tells me now that consumers do taste the difference. They have some great chefs, but a lot of it starts with the product in which they're cooking. So how do you change that approach? And Slim, I want y'all, both of y'all to pitch in on this, but I think that's where people start slowing down and, and realizing the value of family and conversation. Sure. If we take this back home, and we start really building the foundation of raising our families correctly, we need to spend more time around the dinner table. And hey, if we can bring fresh, fresh, uh, you know, meats, proteins, vegetables, great. 
But let's say you don't have time. Let's start giving them the recipes that they can that say, hey, in 20 minutes, you can knock this out. Lay it out the night before. Bam, this is what you do. I'm going to give you a footprint to make this easy and you don't have to, you know, be a, a famous chef to do it. That's where I'm focusing with KNC is being able to provide that for you. Yeah. And that's what's really cool about this whole effort across the nation. I have people contacting me right now that are, you know, they're really wanting to contribute. You know, I've got chefs all the way from Manhattan and all they deal with is it's gourmet caveman. You got to follow him. He's fascinating. He, I mean, he knows fire and beef and that's what he focuses on. And so there's so many people that are like Cole was saying, you can bring that restaurant home now. And once you, you're able to do that and get back into the social of the family and start having that conversation, what is it around? What is it surrounded by? Surrounded by protein, food. Yeah. That's well, how we build this. That's, uh, I mean, I can attest to, I think it's a great family activity. Ever since I moved to Texas, I, my brother lives down here now. It's the first time we lived in the same city for 12 years. My sister was here. She just moved back to Colorado and then... We have a bunch of we have a bunch of people who escaped the Northeast and have yeah, <laughs> found sanctuary can. in Austin specifically. And there's a lot of people from Philadelphia down here. And so during the football season uh, for Eagles games, we'd have people over. And uh, I was telling you, I got that fire pit, mm -hmm. uh, and we basically had an iterative process over the course of the season where on Sundays we get the fire real hot, and then we put a cast iron on it for a few hours, and then we would work on like perfecting a tomahawk on the open fire. And that sure. was just like a great bonding process my brother our friends my wife son he would be around the fire and we teaching him like it's hot it's hot it's hot and like yeah stay away but no uh, and then we've got to a point where we can cook a pretty damn good steak <laughs> well on you, you want to do better i mean you you really do you want to put intentionality into your consumption yeah you know let's take away take away the randomness of convenience of consumption once you start doing that with food you're going to do it with video content, audio content, anything that's being shoved your way, you're becoming a filter that you didn't realize you can become as far as it's going to make you a hell of a lot smarter because you're not focused on, you know, that convenience of consumption anymore. And it does have that low time preference that we always refer to in the Bitcoin world. And it's always been there. We're just really seeing it. Yeah. You know, I, it made me really look at my grandfather and, you know, I talk about him a lot. <laughs> you want to hear a story here? Cole, a fourth generational Texas rancher that had to steward the land, steward the lifestyle, steward the cattle, the animal, the education. Let's tie some dots here with that stewardness of basically, you know, maintaining that le legacy and really sh highlighting that heritage that nobody's talking about right now, but they're yearning for it. And we know that because you look, I don't have a TV. I don't watch TV, but I hear that Yellowstone is like the number one TV show right now. It's Yeah, it's popular. Well, let's get freaking cowboy on this shit and we're going to start eating beef. Well, Cole, how, how important do you think, like how close are we to losing our connection with the land? Like you're fourth generation, but like how many, how many ranches are, are falling on it or how much knowledge is just like not being imparted on the millennial Zoomers right now. That yeah, and, and my statistic may be a little off because, hell, this was 10 years ago. But 10 years ago in our agriculture courses at universities, they were telling us the average age of a farmer or rancher was 62 years old. So we've skipped out a whole generation. Um, my generation, most people don't want to get into it because we've we've watched our parents or grandparents lose their ass in this industry 
Or we've watched them, you know, they don't get a guaranteed paycheck. Oh shit, they work seven days a week, 365. And so why not go to the city and work for a tech company? Hell, that I make a lot more money. I can vacation and do what I want. Um, it's We're seeing that get further and further and further. But we've also watched our, our land holdings. You know, I wear another hat that most people don't know about. Um, I'm in the banking industry. And I've watched this year alone, three or four of the largest farmers in the area finally give up, throw in the towel and tell the developer, sure, come take me out. They're getting the highest ROE that they're ever going to see. The initial uh, return and, you know, not going to use it on this podcast, but the amount of taxation they're going to have to pay is a whole nother story down the road. But um, we're watching them just say, you know what, it's not worth it anymore. And I hate to see that because that is what's driving more of the, the, the monopolized part of this industry even stronger and stronger. We've watched feed yards go corporate. So you have very few small locally owned uh, feeding facilities. You have most, a lot of, I don't know the exact percentage, but we're watching more and more of these farms that are going corporate. Uh, in fact, a higher percentage than what most people realize. I mean, Bill Gates is the largest landowner in the United States. So that that's a real promising outcome. Um, and folks like me are, don't, I'm an anomaly, but part of it, I was probably born four generations too late. But, <laughs> but uh, I truly believe in it. I, I want to see folks that we can pass it on to. I want to see these younger kids have that, that, that desire in their gut and their heart. Um, but I also believe in the American dream. You know, hard work's going to pay off. You bust your ass for something, uh, you can see a return. And so I'm hoping that with what we're doing with from the farm to table to your to your to your fork at home, that people will really jump and catch fire. And and I have seen it. I've watched my business when we started, where we were killing a few steers a month. Um, we've been doing this really about 18 months, uh, two years, I guess, and we're killing 15 to 20, 25 head a week. So we're killing, you know, anywhere from 80 to hundred a month. So yeah, we've seen a proven record where people are really noticing like, damn, it does taste different. Man, the, the meat's cleaner. It makes me feel better. What am I trying to do? I want to create to where someone like you, Marty, you say, look, I don't have land, but you know what? I think I can, I want to contribute to this too. Hell, I want to own some cattle. Let me f- help you find an avenue to where you can be part of the process. And let's, as Bitcoiners, also come in, we can put equity stake in this and uh, they can own some of it. Let's take this, let's take back control. And although you don't have to necessarily be involved in all the day-to-day operations, you can still contribute. That's what I'm pushing for. I would love that. And I, and I, I, that's exactly what I want because I'm a city boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a, a very good city boy though. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know how to do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's something to be said for that I too. Mean, down, uh, down in my heart, I don't want to come off like a big pussy, but like I can't deny it. I was born and raised in a city. I've lived in cities my whole life. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, you're pretty base, so you're okay. All right. I mean, you. yeah. we'll be fine. I'll get to brag a little bit because sure. I know my, I know my wife's not listening to this right. podcast because she uh, she'd shoot my ass. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I came home a few months ago, and my wife, you, uh, she is. Uh, she she's a true Barbie doll when she wants to be, but my right. wife also is probably the toughest individual I've ever met. When I choose who's going to work me for the day, you know, I don't want to listen to bitch at me. Right. I'd choose her over almost any man. 
Um, because she, she's smart, but she is tough as hell. I watched her cut her whole damn hand off and not cry. I watched, uh, no, literally, she, we had a fence uh, in our arena that, that is made of cable and the turnbuckle popped when she tried to walk through the fence right. and it slipped right through her hand. So I'm dry, hauling ass to the hospital and she's like, man, drive faster, damn it, drive faster. And I'm like, shit, my truck's at 120. I can't get any faster, right? <laughs> yeah. We get there in the late, she's like sitting in the emergency room and the doctor's like, hurry the hell, you know, ma'am, we need you to fill this out. And the, my wife's like, if you do not freaking put some numbness in here and stitch this some bitch up, I'm about to kill somebody. Yeah. And I watched him put the needle in and not once did she cry. But my point is, she's not going to call me when she's broke down on the side of the road. My wife knows how to change a tire. Right. Um, she knows how to change hydraulic lines on a tractor. I mean, shit that I sadly don't even know. I learned the cattle <laughs> ranching side. I didn't learn mechanics when I was a kid. So there are times she makes me feel really stupid. But, yeah. Um, you know, I hope we raise a generation of kids that are more that have that opportunity for that exposure. They can go fix shit. Well, yeah. Like you, like you said earlier, it's like a yearning to get back to the source of things. And, and particularly for my generation, for millennials and I'm sure Gen Z too now, like and Gen X to a certain extent as well, like coming to the realization that the nine to five cube job is not fulfilling at all. You're, you're, you're seeing and I was having a discussion with the NBA yesterday and it's like but it's the percentage really and he I think he rambled off like two or three they're just dropping out you know they thought they were going to help save the world they thought they were going to make a difference and now they're reevaluating and what's cool about it he brought up the fact that you know they're starting with food here we go again they don't know where to go but they want to start they're listening to him because he he's, he really is a carnivore he's doing protein and everything who's this Matt. Matt. Yeah. Okay. And he, you know, he, he's, he's a Bitcoiner, you know, he left uh, California, came to Austin, you know, this is happening on every scale and it's very intentional. And, you know, Cole talks about just being able to do things. We need to, we need to realize that everything that we've been conditioned in the last couple of generations was to make us less powerful. It really is. And we won't use this podcast because we've talked about the food and how truly, truly corrupt it is. And it's basically that we are the recycling bin. And so we have to get the confidence back that you can be a strong and based individual. You ever been around a damn cowgirl that gets her hand cut off almost? You, you think you're, you're not going to try to be a better man and a stronger man? I mean, I know some strong women and and we need. I always say this: we need more cowgirls into Bitcoin right now. So you know, that's that's my job over here. Is that we're going to go out in so many different kind of very intentional type of living apparatuses. We're you know we're going to be talking to the Professional Rodeo Association. I want to talk to the Professional Bull Riding Association. There's so many people that we're going to hit with the Beef Initiative that it, it's going to be a state of mind. Right now, this year is a product. We're producing. We're a production company, and that's how we're going to approach everything. And in the beginning, I said, you know, we're going to do beef and Bitcoin, Bitcoin and beef. You know, we're, we're there. The beef initiative is there. We're launching it. It's live right now, and everybody looks at it. And so we can start with this type of living. Come to the beef initiative, coal, and the beef initiative have a partnership, and it's the first time you can ever go. I box of beef. So a Bitcoin beef box is the B3 here. And so by doing that, you're going to take time out of your life. You're going to say, we're going to be very intentional about this. We're going to teach our kids how to cook. 
there's going to be something that happens really quick this year. You know, you talk to more people than I even can imagine as far as getting the whole spectrum of where we are society. I'm so freaking excited this year. I mean, I'm going to get a freaking big old diesel and we're going to drive around the country. We're having four conferences this year and we're going to start off in Kerrville, Texas, and it's going to be April 23rd. Cole's going to be a speaker. You're going to be a speaker. Uh, Adam Curry's going to be a speaker. We're going to have a bunch of people that come up there and, and help with this lifestyle change, with this confidence. It's being done. Let's start with these. It's a weekend in Kerrville. You ever been to Kerrville yet? Not yet. It's on the Guadalupe River. You know, it's something that's, um, you know, it has a Kerrville Folk Festival. We're going to have it at the Western Art of Museum. And it's going to be very educational. We're going to take a step back of about all this psyop crap that's going on right now. And we're going to really give solutions. We're going to give financial education to somebody like Cole about Bitcoin from the not knowing anything about it to a full on strategy, investment strategy that they can use to save their legacy. Well, that's one thing. I want to get to, but before I get to that, I mean, you've started a trend, like the whole go shake your rancher's hand. Yeah. Like I've seen, I can't <laughs> even amazing. count how many tweets of like freaks who listen to the podcast. You're just like send pictures. Like I, this was the weekend I went out and shook my rancher's hand. Yeah. Like, it's pretty powerful stuff. Well, and it's so cool because it's just not in Texas. It's just not NOS. It's, it's in the United States. It's across the world now. You know, people are paying attention. So we say, well, this is the beef initiative. Yes. It's a Texas thing, but it's a, it's a United States thing. You know, we're going to expand out and we have to across the United States, but this is not limited to anything. People are going to rediscover their uh, communities. This They're going to rediscover that history. You know, Princey with uh, uh, Once Bitten, basically he was able to go out there and find, you know, his local producer. He didn't even know he was there. And so he went intentionally and found this guy and now they have a half quarter of beef and they're going to be taken care of. It's happening all over the place. Yeah. We're going to give that. We're going to, you know, in the Beef Initiative platform, mine your protein. How do you mine your protein? It's an individual thing, but there's a there's a um, basically a pathway, and everybody's going to be able to share that pathway. Through the mine your protein section, you come there, you give us your input. Therefore, you shove your input all across the world, and people are going to come look at that, and it'll be a stepping stone. It'll be a drip approach as much as they're drip approaching us with our food system. This is a lifestyle. This is a complete, I mean, a complete lifestyle change that nobody saw coming, but it's been forced upon us. So we're going to hit it pretty hard and we're going to bring it back really hard. Counterpunch is strong right now. Counterpunch is strong right now. We're further along right now than I ever thought we would be. From the processing side to the talks that I'm having with Cole, hey, let's get Bitcoiners to be over the, if they can't be a, a rancher, if they can't have that land right now, how are they going to get into the beef industry? How are they, well, they're going to leverage the beef initiative. Well, you're going to come to the beef initiative and maybe we and Cole we might have a program where you can buy 10 cattle. You can take care of your family for the next five years. And that's not, this, it's going to happen because now we control the processing. We control the cow. We control the birthing, the calving, the feed, everything. We are the food industry now. <laughs> I mean, Look you think us. about, yes, yeah. we are. And they can't do anything about it because we're using their rules and their regulations that they enforce upon us. And we're going to do it just as good or better than they are. And that's it's a bold statement, but it's happening. It's not because I'm up here being boastful. 
because I can BS and all that kind of stuff. But this, this is going to happen. And so everybody needs to start focusing. Quit parroting all this crap that's going on <clears throat> in our um, economy, in our society. And let's, uh, let's become the food industry yeah. that nobody saw coming. And it starts with maybe connection to your local rancher. Yeah, and again, it's like completely necessary. The time calls for it. If we don't have a choice right now. We don't. Yeah. They're about to stake, a, they're about to create a new fake commodity food system on top of a fake commodity su- food system. Within society, they're, they're building, you know, the prohibition of our personal space is rampant right now. Well, whenever you prohibit somebody's personal space, you're, you can manipulate them with their food to where they don't have the ambition to go out there and do things. And if anybody thinks that we're not there, I mean, really? <laughs> I get, I, I get, I've told this story on this podcast before too, but like it really does affect people's minds. I saw it when I went to college in Chicago and work on the West side and South side. We'd work at grade schools teaching like lacrosse and mm-hmm. it's crazy what a diet of honey buns and sugared up juice will do to people. You can literally can't concentrate for sure. for more than a minute, if that. And well, whenever I went on harvest, I mean, because we have to eat like shit. I mean, it's horrible. For six weeks, I mean, I was unhealthy. I hated it. And, you know, it's because I came from protein. I was already eating damn good, all that kind of stuff. But it gave me insight into saying this is a problem because, you know, I was still kind of working out when I could on harvest and whatnot. I wasn't there. I mean, I was not myself. And I want everybody out there to know that because you can take a step. There, We have proof of work. You know how many people are coming right now is saying, hey, this is saved my life. I had a 17-year-old boy the other day come up to me in the gym, and I told him to read The Harvest of Deception. And um, his name is Isaac, and he said, you changed my life. And I was like, cool, man. Tell me the story. Well, he starts talking, and he, he's, uh, he goes, I didn't realize anything about food. I never even paid attention to it. Well, now he's a true student of his food intake. <laughs> And I said, you need to go see Justin up here. His plant just opened. He called me up that night and he goes, Justin just gave me a job. So he's 17 years old and he's going to be working in processing and he's going to learn that whole skill set. And that's changing a local economy. That's changing a local um, community in a way to where the focus of a 17 year old is not out here in this world that's trying to destroy them. It's right there. You know, whenever they take that cow down, he's going to learn how to cut that cow up it's going to feed another family. Yeah. Uh, again, another <clears throat> theme that was discussed last week on the show too. It's like, stop attacking them. Stop attacking that, that people are trying to destroy you. Just yeah. go do your own thing. It, yeah. It's time to stop. It's time to quit parroting that. We know that they're bad. You know, what was it? Adam and Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan asked Adam and said, well, why would they do that to rapeseed and canola? And Adam just went for the, money, man. Let's get past that. It's for the money. Whatever it is, it's okay. We know it's it's bad. This is where we need to be right now. Let's quit, you know, harping. Let's create proof of work. Let's get out there and start building. And, you know, by doing that, life changes fast. I mean, it's been three or four months since you and I first met. There's a lot of things that have happened. And this year is going to be pretty amazing for a lot of people's lives. Yeah. I'm excited. I mean, Again, it's time that this stuff happens. It and, is. And it's, again, I, me personally, since I met you, you've changed my life too. Like I've 
Mick Cole. I need a I need a re up on like a half cab. Of, I'm, <laughs> I've got I think I've got two things of ground beef left in my freezer, and I've uh, I've got to get more beef. But uh, it feels like uh, I don't want to use the term because it's somewhat bastardized. But like there is an awakening happening, and uh, people are fed up and ready to take control of their lives again. You know, y'all both just brought up a good point that I see uh, in our industry that about, about the attacking. And one thing that I hate to see, and I hope, you know, to your listeners, your podcast, a lot of people, because of the way that honestly it was controlled by government on how we, how we label what product we do. Are we grass fed? Are you grain finished? Are you grain finished non-GMO? Are you grass fed their entire life? What is pasture raised? A lot of people get so, so lost in what the labels of each of these are, you know, like for us, we pasture raise all our beef. What does that mean? It means from the day it's born to harvest, they're going to have access to open space and pasture. Uh, we do finish them with a grain the last ni- uh, 90 days. It is a non-GMO. We're using all recyclable products. Guess what? Now we also have helped the beef industry not or the beer industry not waste uh, distiller grain. We helped uh, r- the rice industry not have to race the offset, so we use uh, rice bran. You know, uh, Cotton seed. Well, when we're making cotton for clothes, we're taking the seeds from, from actually pulling out the cotton and we're able to put that into a ration for roughage. So what are the faults of, uh, of grain finish? Well, the reason people are pissed off over grain fed is because they're cramp or, you know, shoving GMOs down your throat. And it wasn't just the GMOs that they were shoving. They were even more further pissed because the feeding industry got this accusation that they were pumping antibiotics and feed. I was telling Slim the other day, you know, when I've had some very sickly calves come up, good luck for a person trying to buy, go to a local feed store and see if you can find a feed that has this pre-medicated. You can't even touch Mm -hmm. them. We have figured out how to get away from that. Uh, You know, you have mass resistance and, and herd immunity. Well, no crap. That's what happened in the 40s when everyone got penicillin shots for everything. It was a magical cure. And then all of a sudden, damn, penicillin don't work. Well, yeah, we get that now. Same way with grass-fed. You know, a lot of people don't realize you can certify grass-fed with a USDA label by basically changing one or two small ingredients in, in a feeding ration. You can, they're not some magical, you know, uh, karmatic place where they're all eating grass that's as tall as your body and the cow's happy and smiling. You can put them in a damn feed yard and tweak slight pieces of that and certify them as grass-fed. Well, from a producer standpoint, we see we're trying to market to what the consumer says that they want. At the end of the day, we give a damn about stewarding, being good stewards of the land and really giving a crap about our animals. We really do. If, but we fight each other. We fight each other because you know we have grass-fed guys saying that, hey, we're doing it wrong. Well, we're fighting them and saying, well, we've seen studies that say the omega-3s are higher. Look, folks, at the end of the day, if they're raised by your local ranchers, you're going to get the best of omega-3s that you can get. You're going to get the the best of proteins. You're going to get a clean protein. It's going to be inspected. You're going to get the better quality. So we're sitting here fighting over stupid-ass topics over how my beef's better than yours because you raise a cow across the street. I don't care about that. I don't care if you raise Wagyu and I'm, you know, I do nothing but Angus. I don't care if you raise freaking Jersey cattle. Everyone has a preference for what they like to taste. I just hope that through the beef initiative, we can get producers and consumers to join forces and say, hey, we want a good product. 
We want something that tastes rich. Well, if you want rich, we're going to go with grain fed. Hey, I like high marbling. Well, you'll probably want to go with us. Hey, I like lean. Well, in that case, yeah, you need to probably go with the grass fed route. It's going to be a leaner beef or go with someone that raises longhorns or corrientes or vice versa. There's a hundred different ways you can skin the cat on preference. But I get so fed up hearing everyone attacking someone's methodology on how they raise them. There's a lot of ways you can you can raise an animal, but it all starts by buying local, in my opinion. I know what happens in the commercial world. I came from it. That's what I've I've done my entire life. Um, what happens in the commercial world? So you know they're going to feed yards. They're they are getting implanted. They are getting. Uh, they do describe a feed yard for us. Like, is it one of those things you see on like Food Inc. where everything's being? So what a feed yard is, is you're going to have a pen that's about the size of your office and you'll have probably 40 to 50 cows in it. Their job is to walk up to a feed trough and eat every day, then go to a water a water uh, bucket or water trough, depending on how each yard's set up. They're going to be troughs, but they're in more of a confined space. Plain and simple, the reason for confinement is because you want them to convert on feed because as a producer, they... They pay us off of gain, in an essence. We're only getting so much for that animal. So we make our money in the commercial world by having that animal convert as fast as they can for as cheap as they can. Because that's how the monopolized companies have told us it has to be done. However, there are some, that is what that, that, that vision of a feed yard is. You put 100 cows, they can't hardly crap, and, and they're just right next to each other. But there's also ways in which, you, you know, correctly, feed yards can be utilized as an extension of your ranch. And I'm a huge proponent of this. You can put them, there are, there are ones that are designed that have huge pasture programs that have space where you can put cattle on a finishing program where they are still in a wide open area. Yeah, what happens when you put 10 cows on an acre? They're going to start tearing the land up. That's part of it. What happens if you rotate them? Well, now you're able to retain the forage and you actually help the soil. There's a lot of ways you can do it. Um, and feed yards aren't always, there is a purpose in a way in which they can be used. They were designed so you can make factory beef. You can do it quick. You can do it fast in a short time frame. bam. And that's really what consumers are scared of. But if done appropriately with no antibiotics, non-hormones, give them spacing. There are ways in which that same land usage can be used. Um, where I'm disappointed is all our feed yards for the most part are owned by large corporate companies, JBS, Tyson, Monsanto. So now they control the processing, they control the feeding, they control in an essence, your drugs, your chemicals, the whole, we are monopolized. I'm not saying that they don't have good people that work for them. I'm saying from a producer standpoint and a consumer standpoint, you're being told at what price you have to pay for X, why don't we go back and control that narrative? That's my my biggest push. Yeah, well, you mentioned these big guys too, and you say there's good people working there, which is no doubt, but then you have like the banality of evil sort of discussion yeah, sure. where it's like, because we talked about Monsanto and Bear yeah. merging. Well, Bear is it. I mean, just Bear is it. Bear controls everything. <laughs> if they don't truly directly own it, they control your life in ways you have no clue. And it's, it's fascinating if you go in. I mean, I've put a couple of charts up there on bear. I don't know, 400 separate types of industry 
corporations. It's just, it's fascinating. You can spend a year doing that research on it. And I told you the story. Yeah. I have some friends that I'm not going to name what company they work for, but they are, they work for the corporate side. And so they were a little pissed off at me because I've been against pretty much everything that they're doing. And it's funny because I've watched the transition. I watched one of them 12 months ago, all of a sudden decide, hey, well, that looks fun. You're raising cattle and, and going farm to table. Well, hell, I want to try it. I'm like, well, how are you going to do it? You got to decide what program you're going to label behind. So they decided to go never, ever. No implants, no antibiotics. And I'm sure it was just killing them because everything that they're taught and taught to cross-sell you, oh, hey, now we can't you know, push the, the uh, implant line that actually has a really good profitability for bear. Um, they don't work for bear, by the way, but as an example, um, now, well, crap, I got to change the diet that goes into them. I have to change the way in which they were ran. And what they found is, guess what? Those cattle still converted at a very high rate, even on a grain ration that doesn't have rumensin and all that other added shit. They converted really well. My cost per gain was still good. Holy crap, I was still profitable. Man, there is, and then it's no different than someone like me coming into Bitcoin. The first time I'm starting to learn from you and, and I'm, I'm trying to follow what Bitcoin's all about, it is kind of overwhelming and eye-opening. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm having to rethink how I think as a person altogether about everything. <laughs> it was the same enlightenment for these folks. Then all of a sudden now they're wanting to change and they have. And now it's funny as they work for these, now they're putting the mandates on them. And so now they're, they're probably 30, 60 days away from losing their job. And all the Kool-Aid they drank for so long, they're like, you know what? Excuse my language, but fuck these guys. They, had, they were telling me all these things that I had to do. And now because I don't feel like I have, uh, I'm not trying to stir up a, uh, you know, an uproar here, but because they're being told that by not getting the vaccine, they're not qualified to be one of the top salesmen in the country. Huh, that's interesting. Their loyalty to me sure didn't exist. Right. You're just now, a cog in the machine. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. You, you can curse and talk about the vaccine. It's because Cole has character. Yes. Uh, he's very polite. I try to be careful. You know, <laughs> for me, selling beef in Austin, you know, I have customers that, that are fully vaccinated and wear a mask everywhere. And if that's their prerogative, so be it. I agree. No, I'm the same way. Do whatever you want. Right. Just don't try to force it on me, please. Absolutely. Sure. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, well, you said it was funny. You mentioned Bitcoin. You've been on your journey. I mean, the first time I went out to the ranch, went out uh, with uh, Michael Atwood from Oshi. Mm -hmm. He onboarded you on the Oshi and Open Node, and I paid for a brisket via Open Node yeah. um, in Bitcoin. And so, what's what's your journey been like on the Bitcoin side of things since then? So, for me. Um, what I found, we're still, the technology isn't perfect yet for getting it onboarded with, uh, with Squarespace and who I already used for my website because I had so much capital. That's where I decided, you know, for my own, my journey as a whole has been really cool. I've learned so much and I've met so many people in Bitcoin. Um, you know, my persona of what I thought a Bitcoiner was is completely different. <laughs> what was it? Man, it, and, you know, for all the listeners, I hope they don't judge me. Like, I env I envision, like, Bitcoiners were all tech hipsters that probably were, like, far-left people. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. And 
now I realize, shit, they're just like me. <laughs> yeah, they may come from the city, but quite frankly, a lot of our ethical and moral values and maybe even a lot of our political opinions are very much in line. And uh, I actually feel pretty much at home with, with the Bitcoin community because the same things I'm trying to accomplish in agriculture are the same things they're trying to accomplish with their Bitcoin investment. They want to take control back and be able to understand how they're going to use their funds. And they want to decentralize who tells them what and where they're going to do everything. Yeah, I can relate to that 100%. Yeah. It's a beautiful you, thing. You and I had talked about that the first time I, th I said, it's, you know, they're already doing a decentralized life that's been going on for a damn long time here. And I was having a conversation, I guess it was with Cole yesterday and a group of people, and I said, you take a, a rancher that's been in this 40 to 50 years, and how he's had to change throughout the years. And the amount of intelligence that he has on the manipulation of the market, you get him into Bitcoin and you're going to have one of those moments. There's going to be a rancher out there that changes the ranching industry as we know it. And I'm thinking it's Cole right now because he's the first on board. You know, he's the one that wanted to take that leap of faith. Well, in the first time, the onboarding was kind of difficult. I've been working with Oshi, been working with uh, other people, Matt now. And what we're going to do with the ranchers, and we're doing it right now with Cole, is we're going to give a full-on concierge service. White glove service, extraordinaire, all the way to the journey of Bitcoin from the very first whatever it is, wallet, purchase, whatever it is. And we're going to know that individual where you are. And we're going to walk you through it. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter where you are in the country. We will come and we will help you get onboarded to this because that is an education because everybody's just like, do you take Bitcoin? That's, yep. that's where it goes. It's like, man, come on, let's start over. You know, and how I'm going to approach every, every rancher out there in the United States is listening to this is we're going to learn from you first. Cole has taught me so much more than I even knew already. And me and Cole are now have a relationship, okay? This is how this plays out. Once we have that relationship, I understand protein more. I understand the cuts, everything we've talked about here. Well, he's going to be willing to listen to us Bitcoiners now. We're not going to demand that they take Bitcoin. That is the worst approach that we could probably do. And it's, it's natural. Mm -hmm. But with this type of concierge service, man, we're developing these relationships that are going to last, last a lifetime. And the amount of education that's going to be exchanged in a decentralized way, there's it's a win-win that that a lot of people I don't understand they don't understand the impact that's about to take place because so, once we get Cole and he knows everybody he just talked about, you get ten ranchers across the state of Texas that has been onboarded through the Beef Initiative, and they're learning how to manipulate with a new form of leverage and store of value that they never had existed before. Here we go, counterpunch. <laughs> so when you take someone like me, we're, we talked about this yesterday. The easiest way to look at it from a ranching perspective and how do you relate that back to Bitcoin? So I know nothing about this. I know banking markets because I'm in that industry. It helps fund and capitalize everything that I'm trying to do because agriculture has been so thin margin. But regardless of that, you asked me as a rancher, hey, why don't you jump on Bitcoin? Well, my first question is, what the hell is it? What's it backed by? Because I don't understand it. 
it's all on the inner in, in this cloud. How does that exist? I'm I'm talking kind of like my dad did, but quite frankly, I asked some of those same questions and hell, it it trades up and down. How, you know, <laughs> how do I control that? Well, let's put it back in my perspective. All right. So commodities pretty much trade up and down. The cattle industry is I mean, Hillary Clinton, what was it, seven, eight years ago, made $450,000 trading cattle futures when I was losing my ass. Please tell me how she knows more about this. Well, of course I know. She had a commodity broker that was trading. We're controlled by, by fund managers. Mm-hmm. That's who determines my, the market in which I'm in. So I watch it go up and down. And I live watching that all the fruits of my labor can disappear all by price manipulation. And so there are times where I've watched a set of cattle that maybe I had $70,000 invested in from buying the whole load, carrying them through. I did not account for my labor. And I either watched them lose money, break even, and God forbid, I changed my methodology with that. So when I buy them now, if I can't lock them in and hedge in my commercial side of the business and make at least $100 per animal, I won't do it. Figure the ROI on that one. So if a load's 70 head, I'm try to use simple numbers here. If one load is 70 head, and let's just say they cost $100, which doesn't exist, but in a perfect number world. So 70 head times $100, it's pretty simple math. And let's just say at the end, I get 150. That's a lot. Your ROI is worth a damn. Yeah. So why can I not take that same knowledge? Yeah, there is some volatility in Bitcoin. I get that. There is some ups and downs that go with it. But each time that it's corrected, it always seems like it's a little higher than where it was last time. It's a little higher than where it was the last time. So if if I'm willing to play the game with beef, there's so much more upside in Bitcoin. Hell, I can ride it up no differently. So I'm taking that same approach and the good thing is I don't have to hedge near as much. I don't have to sit and watch the damn market all day, every day with Bitcoin. With cattle, it's nonstop every 30 minutes. I'm, and I, I found myself in this podcast doing it. I'm still watching the futures <laughs> right. to see where the board's at today. Um, it's an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, Bitcoin isn't nowhere near as manic depressive as the right. cattle right. industry. Which is, uh, as a Bitcoiner, shocking to hear. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I get that. I get but, that. But no, I mean... We've talked about so you think about the opportunity of ranchers accumulating Bitcoin. Maybe you take ten percent profit, put it into Bitcoin, then over time, that profit, that ten percent, turns into a significant portion of your balance sheet in terms of value, right. like, and it can embolden you as an industry, or more specifically as an individual rancher. And like, what does that do to empower uh, the industry at large? And where can we go from there? If if yeah. It's unlimited right now. This is, like I said, we're a lot further along than I ever thought that we would be. Um, each day, whenever, this is this is what's very important about this. Each time that Cole and I have a conversation, it's nothing but value for value. And it's gotten, it didn't take long to get value for value with this conversation that we implement everything that we talk about. We haven't even got to talk about how many bones we've both bro- broken and stuff like that until today because it's always been the conversation about how we're going to change the beef industry right now because he gets it. He gets where I came from as far as going like, we, we have a new store of value that's going to save this legacy. 
And so those lights are starting to turn on. And, and by doing that, you know, what have we done for friendships, for our families, for Austin, for Texas? And once that kind of gets that momentum to get there and that rancher, the rancher has to be paranoid. You know, he has to be. It's not something that he wants to. He wants to talk to people. He wants to meet people. He wants to understand where they're coming from. Cole asked probably, he's mo the most personal rancher I know, but, you know, he is in Austin, so it's a little different. But there's a lot of ranchers out there that don't know how to have that communication service. And once we give them some, with the concierge service, that we give them that broad, you know, understanding of what's going on here, they're going to be able to see, yeah, I am kind of captured by bear. I am. And I, I oh, I have an outlet. I have a note over here, K&C Cattle. He, he's advising people how to do that. Oh, there's processing centers. Well, my friend that I grew up with that went to SMU, he wants to open up a processing center. And so, oh, what are you going to do? You're going to come through the beef initiative. And so in the beginning, it was selling beef online, you know, in trading in Bitcoin. And it's there right now. We can do that. So we, that's, that's taken care of. But if we look at the whole beef industry and the food market as, as a whole, when we start controlling that market access and, and basically the processing, I don't know, Cole's probably, his mind is going to work so <laughs> on a new level that, you know, this is, this is going to be something that I'm, I'm going to be very happy because we started in Bitcoin and we started through the beef initiative. Yeah. And it's crazy to think like, even getting this message out, mm -hmm. maybe we can make it happen. If you guys like have lightning network addresses, like when we post this podcast to our RSS feed, we can like, if I got your lightning address, if I got a Bitcoin address from you, a specific type of one and one from you, right? I could pump it into the fountain app and people as they listen through apps that are compatible with podcasting 2.0, which Adam Carey uh, is, is building, like they'd be able to stream you Bitcoin directly to your wallets. Exactly. We are. And, yeah. You know, from my side, what we're doing right now is we try to manipulate with our website and get everything to, one of my challenges is being able to make everything feed correctly when you go into my website with shipping. So to make it easier for the, for the customer today, you're going to be able to buy KNC beef through the Texas Beef Initiative. So if you want to pay through Bitcoin today when this launches, go to the Beef Initiative and those bundles are from KNC Cattle Company. And so you can pay for Bitcoin today. Yeah. I haven't mastered mine yet. We're working on mine. You'll get there. It takes practice. I'm still trying to master it. Right. Exactly. It's, uh, exactly. Well, and that's about adoption. I mean, yeah. I went through the beginning of online software. You and I talked about that. This is just, uh, I mean, get over it. We're going to get some innovation and some adoption. It's just something that takes time. And by doing that, the iterations that take place, you know, Oshi is about to launch a whole new, you know, platform basically than what they started with. And that has moved very fast. You know, that was the problem with getting Cole on board. It said, oh, it identified a problem. Identified a problem that is the common rancher out there with the type of e-commerce system that he has. Now the Beef Initiative knows this. As far as service providing and advising, we're already one step ahead of everybody else to be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. And so you have other ranchers uh, having some FOMO about what's going on here? Yeah. Um, they are, but you know, with a lot of them, with a lot of ranchers, when you give them other options and you give them somewhere else, prime example, I, I don't know if I shared this story with you. So 
I was uh, in a little bit of panic mode, I don't know, four or five months ago because I watched my business, you know, the upfront costs were kicking my ass going into distribution. I knew nothing about this, but I'm just hell bent like, hey, there's got to be a way that ranchers can go and service restaurants. That helps me balance inventory. So until I can get the consumer to understand, hey, we need you to buy not just steaks, we need you to buy ground beef and we need you to buy tri-tips and ribs, try all these things so we can utilize the carcass, I had to jump headfirst into figuring all of this out. So we're going to have a wholesale side of the industry. We're selling to restaurants. We're going to have a retail side of this industry. And then all of a sudden, it all kind of started slowly hitting on all cylinders. Well, then I looked up and I'm like, oh, shit. I planned for growth. And as I projected my P&L out for 12 months, even at a 50 or 100% increase, I thought I was still in good shape with cattle. Well, I may not be. Fortunately, I have a partner uh, in my processing plant and he's got a whole bunch of cattle. We'll be fine. But long story short, called a guy up in the panhandle and said, hey, you run, he runs more cattle in this country than most anyone I know. And I'm like, what if I wanted to source from you? I pretty much anticipate he's going to be like, I ain't doing that shit. He goes, all right, explain the program. So I went through the shop protocols. I went through the handling procedures, the growth protocols, and where in essence how I need them to be finished the exact ways that I want them. And I was just ready for him to kick me in the ass and say, this is stupid. I'm not going to do it because I know what he's saying. Oh, the public don't know what they're eating. Hell. It's funny. He goes, you get a process and plan open. Call me in six months. And I, I, I was completely caught off guard. And I was like, you, you don't think what I'm doing is dumb. He's like, no, I actually see consumers starting to shift. Yeah. You find me another outlet where I can take it, I'd love to partner with. So what I'm doing now is I'm, I've already have five ranchers on board that are following the same genetics, the same protocols, and they're going into the KNC program of beef. I, I could turn it on today and add 20 more. We're not ready. I want to make sure we have the volume, all those things. But now I can still control and make sure you're getting the same quality when you buy from me because I know the bulls they came out of, I know their cow herd, I can guarantee the shot protocols, all the above. And so that's what I want to do. I want to be able to network and bring more and more guys in to where now we control our own narrative. Yeah, that, That's a good point because you bring up the panhandle and you and I talk about that all the time. The panhandle is totally different as far as the ranching industry is, you know, the grasses, everything is different up there. For somebody in the panhandle of Texas to be talking to Cole like that, that's pretty powerful. Wanting to know that information. How quickly do you think you can scale the processing side of things in terms of getting it into uh, more counties? That's going to be a challenge. You know, I'm basically in 24, it's been a two year project for me. It wasn't from a capital issue. It was then finding, hey, who's going to build it? I found the best, the absolute best best project manager in our industry that knows these things inside and out. I got on board with him. I got on board with a lady to help underwrite our, our safety protocols, our HACCPs, so that hopefully USDA don't give us a bunch of shit. Um, then, you know, I, my partner and I self GC'd this project. And so I did that because I have a lot of contacts in the construct. You've been to the ranch. My family's in the sand and gravel business. So I'm trying to utilize everything we could to cut as many costs as we could but also build it bigger. And by the absorption rate 
by increasing our square footage actually helped us out, made the cost more effective. But I mean, I can tell you pretty much now the standard is 24 months ago, I read the standard was $300 a foot. And I was like, $300 a foot to build a processing plant? All right, a normal size one, let's call it 5,000. So I got to have a million five. That's, that doesn't seem right. But what people don't account for are all the other, it's not building a shell building that's causing that. It's the USDA, it's putting, you know, all the different slopes, drains, floor plans. Um, it's putting heating elements underneath your slabs that you don't think about. It's What's funny is when you have the person that's helping design it, they already know pretty much where your shortfalls are going to be. You're not going to have enough freezer space, and they know that. So they're trying to coach you along and tell you you're not going to have enough. Is you, if you are, you know, our vision was this could get bigger, so we've built our plant with where it can be down the road. We also have designed ours, so if we have to expand, which we kind of are kind of hoping and projecting it is, in two years we're ready to put our next our next phase in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's going to take time because the capital costs are expensive. If we get more people that are either A, buying from local ranchers, B, purchasing cattle through the beef initiative so that they can be part of the narrative for their own families. But most important, you know, when, when you buy from a rancher, don't just make it just a passive conversation speech. Help, help us expand the story so that more people understand. I don't care if you buy from KNC. That's irrelevant to me. I just hope you're buying from directly from a rancher somewhere in the United States. And if you're following that same outline, it will make these processing plants go faster. Yeah. And that's a good point because it took over 24 months, just in 24 months, you know, talk about capital cost. I mean, that's going to be something that we're going to address. And as far as uh, the finding project manager, you know, one of the best out there, we're streamlining this. It's never been streamlined. Yeah. That's and a, that's... I have a big, big, I mean, vote of confidence that this is going to move fast. And and that's what's exciting. That's the question I just went to ask. As a Bitcoiner, Bitcoin is obviously an open source Mm -hmm. project, open source system, open source code. Anybody can check and validate like open source floor plans, if you will, for for how to interact with the Bitcoin network. Like, is that what you're describing? Pretty much. I mean, what you see is that it's not a ledger that you can track that you don't know. And so taking that philosophy into the processing and getting, getting them up and running, we're, that's, that's exactly, that's the ethos that's, that we're going to create. I mean, with all of my negotiations and connections and everything, we're getting into the Farm and Ranch Freedom Alliance Council. You know, we're, we're talking to people on the legal side of things. We're getting inroads to politicians. We're getting basically avenues that have never been existed. And once we can show them that, hey, we have a different system here, you're going to need to pay attention to this because it's happening. Because we have proof of work already. I mean, I, I, we got one, two, three, four, five, six processing centers. And I'm not talking about the other ones right now, but I'll be talking about a lot more. And you get that understanding of what you just said about Bitcoin and the ledger with processing why aren't Bitcoiners going to open up 20 processing plants across the state of Texas or, of course, the United States? Because a lot of things that we have in Texas that, that is an intelligence of the processing, it's in different states as well. It's USDA. They're just going to have to do their local you know, when, rules and regulations. When they shifted, 
when we started seeing more and more of our carbohydrate-based foods, of our of our fast food chains, of um, pre-designed food systems come into the ecos, that's when you started seeing all these local meat markets disappear. Mm-hmm. And that's why we saw such rapid closure of your small processors. Plus they couldn't compete anymore. The, the customer base didn't give a shit about where their beef came from. They didn't care. They just needed food. They needed to go to work, come home every day, you know, have a drink, put the kids to bed and go to sleep. That's all they care about. Now we're seeing people are like, man, healthcare industry's changed. Insurance premiums are through the roof. Obesity is one of the biggest things that we're battling. A lot of that can already be combated by being by sourcing your food in a better way. But the biggest thing that I see, I can for once not be blinded and see as a consumer and as a producer is the cost. You know, a lot of folks want to go organic. I have my own opinion towards it because I think a lot of us is it's fabricated in how it's marketed (laughs) and it's a load of shit. But if they want to eat healthy foods, one of the biggest complaints is, man, it's too expensive. In my mind and heart and my soul, what I want to design is, you know, you've gotten to eat our our, our prime end of, of our beef. We are going to have another line that's, that's more on the choice end, the low choice side. And then that really applies to people that are more interested in having a leaner beef. Um, at the same time, I want to figure out and be able to control the process all the way through so that now it's not just people that have a lot of money. I want to compete and go toe-to-toe with the big grocers. You know, Whole Foods has done a good job of trying to support local. They have. H-E-B, as far as any, if any grocery store I would put my hand behind, it would be H-E-B. They do try to support local producers. But if you really want to control that narrative, we have to be able to take it start to finish. And so we want to be able to provide pure animal protein from start to finish at a cost that is affordable, not just to middle and upper class Americans. We want all people to hopefully get on that. And with that, we hope that more and more people from all aspects of life want to start investing from y'all side of the ledger in Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, and then there's an argument to be made too, again, going back to like the health side of things. Like if we're successful, you're successful, if people come around to living healthier lifestyles, I think that's another big theme that has been driven home to people over the last two years of the COVID thing is uh, maybe we should focus on preventative health care uh, instead of the expensive health care after you get sick. Like maybe we should try to prevent ourselves from getting sick in the first place. And part of that is uh, eating healthier and eating um, better quality protein. And once you do that, like when, what's the problem with carbs? They fucking make you hungry. Like yes. <laughs> Every couple of hours, man. Everybody, very good at, you know, I, I think from a diet side of things, you know, everyone jumps on these crazy ass diets. You could buy this one and this one and this one. At the end of the day, if people will just be cognizant, eat pure animal protein, yeah, eat good healthy vegetables, cut out going to McDonald's every five, you know, every five seconds. You don't have to go freaking be a you know workout fanatic and be ripped. Shit, I I I definitely wish I had time to do it more, but. I eat pretty daggum good. Cut out the fried stuff as much as you can. And I eat beef a lot. In fact, I'd be fine if I didn't have to eat vegetables. I'd just eat meat, but my wife won't let me not do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but 
Like, example, me today. What time is it? It is 2.15. I haven't eaten yet today. I'm not hungry. It's yeah. like I've... I haven't eaten yet. Yeah. I just don't even think about it anymore. That's one I was thinking earlier. It's like, it's really cool whenever you can go through your day. You know, even if it's, it's a stressful day. Yesterday was stressful for me. It was very long. A lot of things going on. It didn't bother me, man. I didn't eat for, you know, for 20 hours yesterday. And I had no problems with that. And I feel good today. Yeah. And I'll be, I'll do it. I'll be able to do that again today. And that's only one reason it's animal protein because I don't eat very many carbs at all anymore. And I don't eat that many vegetables. So, and that's just where it's evolved. It's not that I was very going out there in a directional way to do this as far as where I've ended up, but that's where people need to understand. Like Cole was saying, this doesn't have to be a dramatic change across the board. It's just, you're taking a step in that direction. You're figuring it out just a little bit. You know, once you do that, it has an you know, impact because you realize that carbohydrates do take four hours and then you need more because yeah, right. you're hungry as shit again. Yeah. And well, and this gets back to like the, the, the price. Like even you can make the argument that even though like the prime cuts are more expensive, you're eating less. Like overall, your, your, yeah. your food bill at the end of the month may turn out to be less. I, I don't even look at the, my food bill anymore. It's just, it's there. It, it's gone. I've, it's already invested. It's already been time. And that's something that we're really looking at in the long term is food bills. Historically, people spend less than 10% of mm -hmm. their gross income on food in the United States because it's been subsidized. The government created that um, really hell even further back than the 1930s. But what they haven't taken into consideration of that budget is by eating healthier and spending more of a percentage into their food source, they can cut out a percentage of, in theory, um, of what their health and medical expense would look like. Yeah. Some people are gonna have accidents. You're gonna have a damn rack driving down the road. You can't prevent that. But there are a lot of things in which can be prevented. You know, obesity is the biggest one. Yeah, obesity, diabetes, uh, just, depression like you eat shitty like you get all right. depressed like there's so many ripple effects well, to, look at look at our society right now and i'll get on the other types of research i've done i have a somebody a contact is in dallas pretty pretty wealthy and he does uh, life insurance mortgage protection that has a protocol that you have to call people and you have to say this this and this to try to qualify them i, I went and did this for a week with them and i was on calls i was listening and everything 78% of everybody that he talked to on that phone was on two forms or three forms of prescription. Almost every one of them was on anti-anxiety or depression medicine. That's where our country is. And, you know, how do you combat that? Well, everybody throws chemicals at it, you know, but here we go. Or chemicals. Yeah. You're not, uh, these Walking. pills aren't working? Okay. Take mm -hmm. these as well. And, and people need to, the, there is a solution out there and it's just not... A, a rancher talking and the hard ass that I am, it's, 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 it's happening across a lot of people's lives. And like you said before, there is a sense of awareness here and we're not having to push this. This is not something that we're not soliciting, you know, being from a salesman point of view, mm. you're going to end up here. You're going to end up here if you want to be powerful and strong in your life and you want your children to be healthy. You're coming this direction. We need to get the T levels up, freaks. It's yes, time. we do. We need Absolutely. to get the T levels. <laughs> Somebody with a young, I, I'm not going to talk about my son's T levels. I think right. he's too young to be doing that. But like, he's yeah. energized. And I told you last time you were on, like our morning routine. Yeah. With him, 
Uh, I don't eat breakfast all the time, but we wake up, we make bacon, we make eggs, I make coffee. Like he, it's funny watching him run around with like a, a, a slice of bacon in his hand. So he has <laughs> every day, every morning, is like a nice fatty, couple fatty pieces of bacon and some eggs. And I think that'll do good for him in the long run. You can see he's energized, he's strong, he's lean. Yep. There's no doubts there. I mean, you don't have all these doubts. Well, the brand. Oh, well, you know, they say this on the package. It's organic. Organic is crap. I mean, all of the labeling, everything. You take all the guesswork out of food whenever you know coal. That's it. It, it doesn't have to be complicated. And for people to block that type of clarity in their lives, mm, you probably need to take a step back. We're not trying to tell you that you're bad or wrong. We all got into this and we didn't know it was coming. We didn't realize in my life that I've been here, that it was going to evolve into what it is. It's here. We accept it. You know, it's the same with talking to the ranchers that are doing the feedlot or doing the grain finish, all that kind of stuff. And Cole and I had this discussion. We're not going to assassinate people's characters here. That's, that's not the way to do this. And everybody needs to realize that we're going to lead by example. We're going to kind of hit the branching industry right in the middle of it and saying, okay, you guys are doing this. You guys are doing this. We know you're kind of captured here. We know that you're going in this direction. Once we have that conversation, we will be going to the Texas Beef Council and say, we are the beef initiative. We deserve a seat here now. We're going to do that. Texas Cattle Feeders Association. We're going to do the same thing. You want to talk about somebody that's hard to get into and have a seat at the table? Us, Regenerative, going to the Texas Feeder Cattle Association? What's going on at these these tables, the council and the feeder association? So Beef Council, they're funded from us. So if you own if you own 10, 15, or however many cows, cow has has a calf, you decide to go sell the calf at a local auction. Then you notice at the bottom of your sales receipt, you just paid $2. So for every animal that's transacted, traded, sold. Uh, and most of the time, most animals are actually traded two to three times throughout the process. As a calf, they're sold by maybe a guy like me that bought them and decided to take them from 400 pounds to 700. Then I turn around and sell him to a feed yard on the commercial side of my, my ledger. Then that calf is sold at the end to the, to the packer. So there's four times in which... Four times $2, $8 were collected. There's supposed to be a, a lobbying education, not a lobbying. There's supposed to be an education arm for the beef, uh, the beef industry. So you remember when we were all kids, the beef, it's what's for dinner. That was mm. the beef council. Okay. They're supposed to market for us. And, you know, they're battling, they're battling all these same things that we talked about today, but you know, I have some suggestions, ideas of where they could better use those dollars to educate the general public. Hell, we're going to we're going to have as much education right here on a podcast today and reach a ton more people than showing up at the local farmers market with a bunch of bumper stickers that say beef is what's for dinner. I don't mean in a negative light or that they're not doing good things. I just think there's more effective ways in which they can better promote our industry. Yeah, you got to utilize the technology today. Thank you, Podfather Adam Curry, for yeah, giving us this, loop, this right? technology where we can get this message out there. Right? Oh, yeah. And, and that's going to be the fun part is is we're able, like you said, the education of, of uh, the beef industry is just about to explode. And to uncover everything that we've been able to do, well, that was because we think with the Bitcoin ethos, we think in that mindset. 
And this is just, the, it, we're still early. Yeah. <laughs> and one thing I wanted to bring up is those conferences though, you know, because it's about education. It's about everything, you know, having four conferences across the United States this year that says beef initiative, you know, how many people are going to reach out to us because we're going to tell, you know, I've told everybody is that come, come talk to us, tell us your story. We want to listen to it. I'll listen to your story. Then we're going to propose something. We're going to uncover some facts for you. And you're going to talk to us and say, hey, you know, yes, I'm kind of in this position or whatever. By having that approach and having these conferences and people across the United States can come to them. Once again, we're looking at lifestyles that change. Once you go to one of these conferences, once you go out to take your son out to Cole's Ranch and you get that beef for the first time, your life is going to change. And that's what I'm going to keep on pushing very hard with everybody that's, you know, saying I can't. Everybody has that rent-seeking, I want it now behavior. Well, you're not going to make it. So just point your compass in a different way of education. Education now is we're taking control of the education. It's, again, going back to like low time preference, the sure. only way to do it right. It's the only way to actually win. Yes. Like, yeah. the, I want it now. I think, yeah, and I'm guilty of this too. Like I'm part of the I want it now crowd. And that's why I write the newsletter and scream at the, the people <laughs> who I think are, are causing the problems. But Well, you do a very good job of it. Uh, thank not, you. Not too many people can do that. And I don't want any part <laughs> of it anymore. I want to go into the future of the beef industry. And in, the beef industry is basically now the beef initiative is what we're going for. And, you know, and, it, and it's fun. This is the fun part. I'm very excited to work with a rancher and say, hey, people in the Bitcoin world, anybody, you can own 10 cattle. In two years, you're going to be able to be part of the cattle market, you know, because you're going to be educated. And now, you know, we know you live in Austin, Texas, but you can be part of the, you know, Cole knows this better. And we had the conversation before. You'll know the cost. You'll know the payoff. And let's talk about, let's say you buy, you know, 10 cattle. You're an individual. Well, guess what? Maybe we have a little plan to where you can put down a deposit in Bitcoin. Okay. Once you purchase that 10 cattle. Well, we're going to look at the Bitcoin price and leverage that Bitcoin price through the, the raising of that 10 cattle. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many different opportunities here that, you know, we can't, this will be a podcast within itself talking about Bitcoiners, any individual being able to have access straight to that cow from day one, all the way to their table. And that's never been done in the history of the United States. <sighs> It's like we're part of something big, yeah, something early. Well, and I want Cole to speak to this because he's he's been thinking about it, and it's something that's extremely possible. Yeah, I think, you know, I think of so many of our customers that that we see in our in the cities, and even you, Marty, and you know, you're only going to eat so much beef in one year, and that's great. But let's say you know you really you really feel a difference. Like you, you significantly do want to make a difference and feel like you're part of the process. Well, this will, if we can design it so that you or, or that person could then own five cows, well, you have several options. Either A, hopefully, you know, you sell it to friends and family. 
let's split it up. Let's cow pull it. It's kind of the the funny term that I, I've been launching into some of our sales to where cow pull it. yeah, I we'll like cow that. pull it out and and we'll <laughs> we'll separate it into five, six, seven different ways, you know, and you can split it amongst families. It's like a Bitcoin mining pool. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm telling you this this Bitcoin uh, direction that I'm experiencing has my mind going a hundred directions. But um, you know, you could sell it too if you wanted to. A lot of people may not want to do that. They may just say, look. I want to own a couple of cows to feed my family uh, and close friends. And then what you'll find is, is as you share your beef with folks, then more and more are going to want to do it. So you want to be part of the industry. Well, every dollar and every head that we take back is a dollar and head basically that don't go back into the corporate machine. And that's what we're trying to control. It's here freaks. And, and can you, uh, can you promise everybody out there that you're not going to put those burping masks on your cows? <laughs> I will be damned. The day and and another happens. thing, he's not going to ever use NFTs or any type of crypto bullshit in his ranch. Because <laughs> all they're trying to do is digitize that cow. And a lot of ranchers yeah. need the education to understand yeah. that's a new form of capture just as bad as the technology well, use agreement. Well, yeah. I thought back, you know, as we've talked 10 years ago, and they were... I was so blinded, but, you know, they were coming trying to get us to really shove that ID program and putting the the tags, uh, the little implant that you yeah. put in their ear so that we can track and have all the safety and performance information on all of our livestock. And with that, it was such a safer way in which we could provide beef to America. <laughs> right. Um, fortunately, our industry wasn't completely stupid and we just never bought in on the, on the program. Yeah, was it just a, a veiled mechanism to get more control over the industry? Or? Hell yeah, it was. But fortunately, most producers were like, what's the cost? Because that's what every damn rancher thinks of. And they're like, well, right. you know, it's going to be 5 or $10 head. Nope, done. You know, we already spent a dollar in tags or, you know, 25 cents in an essence and energy to, to brand. Mm -hmm. And uh, no, I mean, we, we already make such a small margin, we're not going to give up $5, $10 shit now. So the industry just didn't really jump on that. Yeah. And thank God we didn't. But on that note, right now with their movements, their actions, with futures, with everything that's going on in the economy, and us talking about ranchers that are, you know, bowing out, and all the type of money that's been given that, you know, the president has been talking about saying we're going to help with the processing. You know, people don't understand that an announcement with uh, Biden and everything. Well, that shot futures markets up. You know, they made JBS a lot of money by doing that announcement. You know, that was a distraction that people go, oh, look, they're going to attack the or, you know, kind of battle the processing problems we have. No, that was just so they could make a lot more money. So people don't understand exactly what's going on within the industry as far as you know, what we're up against and just having these conversations with Cole, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. Now we see where we are. A lot of people don't even know where we are as far as the distractions that they're throwing at the general public. Once again, in the beef initiative, we'll be able to report that with our newsletter and everything. You don't want to go anywhere else anymore, you know, and that's, that's what's going to be exciting about this because it's just now started. What were, what was the gaslighting tactics from, from the Biden thing? Uh, it was the all that that what was it a Tuesday that he he announced that he was going after the processing centers yep. and then on Monday the futures were out the roof or something like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, there's so much optimism that they were finally <laughs> going to do something. Uh, you know, 
there's another lobbying arm for the cattle industry. A lot of us are stupid and threw money at, but there's a couple different ones. I'm not going to name anything necessarily on here, but you know, they were supposed to go and represent us and talk to reps and get them to actually look into it. All these lawsuits were filed against JB, JBS, Monsanto, Cargill, Tyson. But yet nothing ever happens. All of them get delayed because they know their, their money's deeper than what we're ever going to be able to pay to attorneys. So if they drag it out long enough, nothing will happen. Well, his smoke and mirror was basically, yeah, we're going to implement all this money. Oh my goodness, JBS has going to agree to pay back $55 million or whatever that number is to, uh, for, but they're not pleading guilt. They're just yeah. going to settle. Well, hell, all that is is the CFAB money that the government issued to producers like us that were having to get money during COVID because all of a sudden they drastically decreased the price in the market and we all would have been screwed. And I don't just mean screwed. I knew guys that were losing millions and millions of dollars. For me, I was exposed more than I ever had been from a position standpoint because no market, and I'm sure this can be in all industries, none of us expected COVID, but I couldn't, I couldn't plan ahead to think that we were going to see, you know, all profitability completely wipe away that quick or there, there could be that much volatility. Um, you know, they also announced that um, they're going to issue all this money for these local processors. Needless to say, well, so why don't you try to go to USDA.gov and see how many of those grants I did this last night, are actually open. Coincidentally, they announced it in June, yet they were all closed by August 1st. Try to go on now. He just announced that more money's open. USDA.gov doesn't show that any of those grants are available right now. You're going to have to wait until they open back up. Yeah, it's it's smoke and mirrors with, with these guys. So they open in June, done by August. It's probably not enough time to do due diligence to actually exactly give those grants out to Exactly. Who deserves them. And though I'm sure they can move some dates and say how I didn't look at the right thing. Maybe maybe I did. I thought you know, USDA and then grants.gov pretty much lined every opening they have out. But um there are some, but by the time you fit, you do the the damn paperwork that they're requiring and you follow through with all their protocols, it's extremely difficult to qualify for their money. And you have to write it the way that they you have to hire a grant writer more or less to try to qualify for it. So yeah. they can keep it. The government, man, never makes anything easy. Hell no. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do we get away from the government? We get away from the corporations as much as possible. Yeah, because yeah. they've essentially merged at this oh, of point. Of course, yeah. there's no difference. Right. Yeah. That's what Mussolini defined as fascism. So something like that. True. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you get how do you get rid of governments in the uh in the chemical companies right now, and the corporations and the processing, well, you go back to the earth. You go back to the source of the seed of what the cow does. Cow is a land tool. Creates soil that's, you know, good for the environment, which is being hijacked, by the way. Regenerative farming, now Al Gore is talking about uh, farming. Oh, really? It's coming full circle. It's Yeah, they're going to come after that now. But they're going to come after it? Well, no, in a way that they are going to try to capture it so they can say, look, we're saving the planet with this regenerative stuff, but they're bringing all this digital technology into it, you know, from all the way the moisture counts, everything that we've talked about. And so when they start going in that direction and they're trying to redefine what regenerative is, yeah, they're going after it. They're trying to destroy it is what they're trying to do. But people will see the commercial and the marketing plan and everything. 
and they'll say, oh, look, you know, well, it is regenerative. The government is trying. Oh, look at these corporations on that golf commercial during the Masters. And then it talks about a company that nobody knows about, but they're going to save the planet because of regenerative grass farming. Yeah. That's coming. They're and, tracking your cattle on the blockchain. Yes. And, and, you know, you can even name it now. And you can have an NFT. You know, they're, they're going to come so hard at this. It's going to be disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Burger King thought the same thing. So, you know, you're, you're going to buy their, their, their fake beef uh -huh. and it's going to be highly successful. So, um, I hope if anything, as I look at the beef initiative and I look at all the producers and the consumers we're trying to get on board, we're not, I don't, I think I can speak for you on this limb. At the end of the day, I don't think we're, we're not just looking just to change necessarily the beef industry. I hope if anything, we're kind of the focal point of change across. We're just addressing a, a specific sector in the economy, which has been agriculture for so long that has been undervalued, underappreciated, and quite frankly, we've lost control of. And if we can start there, I hope it just creates a trickle-down effect into all facets of the economy. And if that begins, I would say, job well done. Mm. We've accomplished our goal. Well, I mean... I think it's, if you guys are successful in what you do, I think that is exactly what will happen. I mean, we talk about it in Bitcoin, right? Like Bitcoin. So we're talking about like base layers of society, money, like Calcan ranchers, people in the agriculture industry even acquire the, the tools and uh, materials necessary to do what they do. They need money. So you have money. Then for society, you need agriculture to feed and actually like nourish sure. people. And then you just keep moving up from there. Like it's mm -hmm. it's going to happen. I guess that's one of the questions I wanted to ask before we we wrap up here. But like, if you guys are successful, we get processing plants all throughout counties across Texas, across the United States. We distribute the processing. We get more ranchers on board with the Beef Initiative and the KNC Cattle Co. way of of doing this stuff. Can it be stopped? Like if everybody's doing like. No, what, what is the attack? Like you just mentioned Al Gore is getting into it and like they may try to attack it that way. But like what can the JBSs, the Cargills, the, the Bears, Monsantos of the world do? Where they can, in my opinion, where they can step in is they can affect us on the wholesale side of things. They can tell the supermarkets and I, I've read this in a few articles where local processors landed a contract with, choose a grocery store. And then they go and undercut you to make sure you can't get it. Um, they could affect the, the restaurant side of the business. They go to restaurants and they're doing it now. I mean, I watch it in Austin all the time. I listen to some of these chefs while I serve X beef and, you know, give me the name of who it is and I already know. I know. That's what's so frustrating. I laugh because some of these, some of the consumers and chefs don't even have a clue. Well, hell, I know they don't. They don't have a clue what they're serving. They're like, oh, I'm serving choice from X. And I'm like, yeah, that's utility beef sent cattle there three weeks ago. <laughs> okay. Um, I know what they are, but sure, go for it. They could probably try to affect that. They can't necessarily affect the cons direct to consumer model. Um, you know, they could get USDA to get harder on our procedures for processing plants. They could. Maybe the state gets tougher and makes it to where we can't hardly function. Well, then you go back to the model that I explained earlier and you do not for resale. And if that's the case, it'll just be a custom exempt plant and we can still have those. But again, I, I think if that does happen, specifically from like the USDA, 
and the the health department looking over the processing like it proves like a like emperor wears no clothes moment like wizard of oz curtain pulled moment where it's like you don't care about the people's quality of life or yeah. or their ability to nourish themselves like you care about protecting these entrenched incumbents well entrenched incumbents and then also making you lazy fat and stupid i mean that's the intention here <laughs> in, in you know in you think the, it's intentional or do you think it's just, i know it's intentional by this point yeah yeah i mean see people don't understand this is an epidemic with our teenage boys in the United States that was intentional and it, it, you can't say long term they targeted for 2022 that T cells would be 200 in teenage boys well they know it is now they know it's an epidemic they know that it's an issue why can't a boy a man go into a doctor and say tell me what my testosterone is why can't you do that that doctors can't test you. You have to go to specific doctors to test for testosterone. That is by design because they discount testosterone. What's the man, number one thing makes a man a man, a man tough is testosterone. I'm sorry, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. You got to have that. You got to have, you know, how Cole and I were raised. You got to have a form of toughness. That's not existent anymore right now. And that's a generalized, you know, statement. We know that. And I don't mean, you know, to, to call out certain people or society or anything like that. But yes, it's intentional. It's intentional. We haven't even talked about the skin. Our skin is our second stomach. You know how many chemicals the FDA's thrown through our skin products now that nobody's paying attention to? All of that goes through your system. Sunscreen's a psyop. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't even worry. Somebody grew up on the beach. Yeah. I've put so much sunscreen on my body over the decades that I've been alive. It's like, fuck, what did I do to my body? And you only need the sunscreen because they're feeding you these bad seed oils that make your skin of course, more susceptible to it's becoming burned. 100%. You know? <laughs> and you brought up something earlier. It's like, okay, we get the ranchers that have always thought decentralized. How many industries are out there right now? I, I identified agriculture and ranching because that's kind of how I grew up. How many more of these little societies, once we get going, like, you know, Cole said, it's just we're changing things in a way to where this, this will start happening. There's momentum there. The timing can't be perfect. Me and Cole talked about the timing of this. We said 2022 is the year to do this. Why? Look at the state of the country right now. Look at, look at our, um, um, our pop culture. Look at society's looking to be a little bit more stronger. There's there's kind of a spirit out there, and you know a cowboy spirit. And I'll let Cole kind of finish up there a little bit because he's got some ideas. I think you know, post pandemic, people are readdressing how they go about their their norms in society. I've watched it with restaurants. You know, they still haven't fully rebounded. Some are doing better than others, but people still want to interact with people. Um, we've watched it, you know, I look at the banking industry, we've, everything has shifted to technology. Uh, and the message was real simple. You don't want to come into a bank, but you damn sure want to talk to someone if you're needing a loan or, you know, we watched in all aspects of society, we're seeing people are coming back to wanting to be with people. They don't, they can't just lean on technology for it. 
Um, I think it's a perfect time because of, yeah, uh, I was selling Slim, you know, with Yellowstone and watching how popular that's that's done. Taylor Sheridan did an excellent job for our industry because all of a sudden people are cognizant. It's number one TV show in, in, in America. It is pretty good. Is it? I watch it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. cool. Even better, <laughs> is it, man. Is yeah. it a little crazy, a little far-fetched of reality? Yes, but that's just TV. But the basis of what he's trying to accomplish there has been phenomenal. And just... Just the same thing with us, you know, with what the Beef Initiative is designed for. We want to be able to bring another point to folks to where they can make an independent decision and people finally, it just seems like people feel more empowered. They're frustrated with the government, regardless of of, of last election, this election, who gives a shit? They're tired of being at home. They're pissed off over mandates. They're pissed off over vaccines. It's a perfect time people are trying to take back control. Yeah. Yeah, see it up in Canada right now. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, I know that trucking deal. It's this is unbelievable. I have a friend. I texted him last night. I'm like, man, how's it feel sitting in the cab of your truck? You're freezing your ass off. And he's like, man, you you can't even understand what this looks like. Really? And yeah, it's scaring them shitless. Their government is like, uh, 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 uh nobody knows where Justin Trudeau is. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. He's got his clown nose on and he's in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's camouflaged with his clown uh, nose. The, the gaslighting that he's attempting is it's so a, disgusting. It's it's truly, you know. Like, we, you, you want to talk about it. You want to look at a sociopath. Just like watch it's some amazing, Justin Trudeau stuff. Like, yeah. He has no soul. He really does. Well, where did he come from? Yeah. You know. Fidel Castro. Exactly. Not sick. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> people don't realize <laughs> that. <laughs> they don't. I mean, I don't hey, American people, where... Uh, Marty who's about to tell you where Trudeau came from. <laughs> I, I said it yesterday. On right. HR. His mother uh, slept around with uh, Castro. Castro. Yeah. yeah we call it the Cuban nipple crisis here. <laughs> if he's truly French Canadian, he'd have pink nipples and they're brown. Right. But, yeah. Hey, on that, I want to. <laughs> we could go on that for a long time. Oh, yes, here, we can. Get us started. One thing I want to do is I really want to ask, you know, the Bitcoiners out there, anybody that's listening to this, come to the Beef Initiative, really, and, and put into your, your cattle rancher. If you're up in Maine, if you're in Washington, something like that, come to the Beef Initiative. It's an input. We want to know these other ranchers because I'm, like I said, I'm driving around the country. We, we're going to do this all over the United States. So right now, we're not even going to put a big database out there for searching for about a month. I want to get input from all the Bitcoiners. All the people saying, hey, I went and sourced, you know, a quarter of a cow. I went and shook my rancher's hand. You know, we start with that database first. It was a hard decision, but I think that's the best approach to do. Yep. That way we, you, we have these conversations. And, and whenever you do that, you can go over to mine your protein. You say, I know this guy. He's my rancher. This is what I've done for my family. This is how I did it. I have a friend out in Missouri. She's been doing that idea of like she, she buys a cow a year and they put down deposit in Bitcoin. They, they watch that price of Bitcoin. And then she doesn't have to pay as much, maybe. There's a ways they're already leveraging. So this is happening grassroots all, all across. I want to know more. The Beef Initiative needs to know and hear these stories. Freaks, go shake your rancher's hands and, and report back. Yes. And I guess that's that's the message here. Yep. It is. It is. Uh, let's let's start the conversation. We're ready. Oh, the conversation's well underway. Well, let, let's let's uh, compile that into a, a, a nation database of intelligence that we become the food industry. How's that? I would love that. And if you can't shake your 
your your rancher's hand, make sure you damn sure have some good conversations with them. You know, we have customers that just because of time uh, haven't actually been able to come out to the ranch, but you know, with our with KNC, we deliver to your door or we ship to you. And I spend more time on the phone with with a lot of folks. But at the end of the day, you know, we're going to be as transparent, and they will find that more direct that they go, they're going to get more transparency than they've ever seen. And you're going to get a lot more welcoming from us producers than you ever thought you would. Let's go yeah. fucking save the food industry. Amen. We, we have it. We, we just have to, you know, the destination's already been created and we're just going to go on a road trip now and enjoy the ride is what we're going to do. Yeah. And we can do that. And I wouldn't be boastful about this, but shit, we're ready. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubts whatsoever. I can't find any cracks in this. Where uh, where should we send the freaks? Beefinitiative.com. Mm -hmm. And then go to Telegram at Beef, Beef Initiative. And then my site, of course, on Twitter is at Modern T Man. And then um, at Beef Initiative as well on Twitter with certain updates. And then, of course, knccattle.com for coal. Yeah. Thank you. Anything else you want to pitch? Before we wrap up here, um, or a message you want to leave the freaks? Yeah, you know, I think kind of we we were ending our conversation on my affinity and yours for Yellowstone, and what my encouragement is for all these big corners, uh, and for anyone that listens to the cast, you know, find the cowboy in you and go be someone's hero. Let's change the world together. Let's make let's make drastic moves and everybody ante up and kind of. You know, put your balls on the line on this one. And not just with the beef initiative. I mean, it can be the pork initiative. It can be the chicken initiative. Hell, we can choose what initiative. But let's all step up together and finally make a change and quit talking about it. Yeah. Yes. It's time, freaks. It is time. Let's, let's put the boots on the ground. Let's get toe-to-toe -to -toe with this. Let's quit talking about it. No more, no more finger fighting. No. <laughs> no more finger fighting. No more finger fighting. No. Boots on the ground. Yeah. And one thing, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Cole on the spot. He, he's got a ranch out in East Texas, and I want to organize something. I want to get at least, you know, like 10, 20 people, 30, 40 yeah. out to his ranch. Well, you know what we should do? We should do a beefsteak down there. Let's do it. What do you think? That's Bitcoiners love beef. You got to come to the next beefsteak in Austin. That's, oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely. Well, that is let's, a, let's have a beefsteak out of his ranch. Yeah. Josh, if you're listening. Uh, the man who throws the beef steaks. Yes, we will. We will source uh, the beef for the next Austin beef steak uh, from KNC Cattle because he was looking the last time he threw one. Yeah, we were off a couple of weeks or something like that. We couldn't make it happen, but yeah. now, now we're we have a lot more people participating now. Yeah. So let's yeah, let's bring it back to Austin. Let's get him here. Let's do it, gentlemen. It's been a, pl a pleasure, Artie. Thanks. Always, yeah, a lot of fun. We'll do this. We're definitely going to do this again, and the studio will look much better next time. Yeah, it's awesome. Beggars can't be choosers. I appreciate you having us on, man. <laughs> You're not a beggar, please. <laughs> no, not, not at all. Peace and love, freaks.